0: Serum Visions is a Magic the Gathering podcast about iterative brewing. Each episode, we work on a project, a deck, strategy, or archetype that we think has room for exploration and brew to the fringes of competitive deck building. In this episode, we discuss the result of our budget brews, which strategies panned out and which were better left alone. We'll discuss further modifications we might make moving forward, and our general lessons learned about brewing with budget constraints. After that, we'll open a new project, Project Painter. Painter's Servant is a wild card with a unique ability that has seen next to no modern play. We'll take a closer look at what makes the Scarecrow powerful and how we might best exploit it in modern. Have a sip of your Blink Monotonic. Have a sip in your third eye. This is sick. Welcome to episode eight of the Serum Visions podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brian Madden. Joining me on the line is possibly the only man who can see the difference between off-white, cream and eggshell, Arun Singh. How are you Arun?
1: I'm doing, you know, once again, well enough, all things considered. It has been, December is normally the wettest month in Portland and we had a pretty dry at beginning of the December, uh, but it's been just like pouring nonstop for the past two weeks and you know, haven't seen the sun in a while. And it's not the most, you know, it's the rainy. Yeah, this is is what everyone warns you about. Like, oh, no, the winter's going to be so bad in Oregon. But honestly, I did my undergrad in Syracuse. And, like, this is nothing. You know, honestly, the fact that it's still 40 degrees out, even though it's pouring, is great. You know, like, try being 11 p.m. and it's, like, negative 10 degrees without the wind chill. And then you're like, okay, you know, like, this is, I don't mind this so much.
0: Yeah, I, uh, having grown up on the East Coast, can appreciate that. The thing that always got me was when it snowed, and it got just warm enough that the snow starts to melt, and you have this like brown gray slush everywhere, and the bottoms of your yep. pants are all just oh. soaking wet all the time. yeah, that was what got me
1: yeah no i'm <laughs> I love the west coast i'm I'm a little happier here, uh but we'll see what happens
0: yeah also joining us is a man who can paint pictures with sound, Zach Ryle, how are you, Zach?
2: I'm doing pretty good i uh I, I, there's been some awesome sound pictures recently uh, because we got into Kaldheim preview season, which <laughs> for me seemed to come out of nowhere because it's been a while since we've had like a, a preview season that we actually had to care about because Commander Legends happened and that doesn't affect the modern format. Um, but uh, the the week of metal with Kaldheim has been super sweet, and uh, I I mean I just cannot I cannot overemphasize how well uh i think wizards is handling this thing I, I can't believe it they got mastodon they actually like when they said week of Mel. i was like oh man this is gonna be really phoned in but they're not no they're crushing it they're
0: killing it it's unreal i really like the look of the like showcase or whatever they're calling the cards the the alt border ones look super sweet mm. and mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. secret lair uh, those alt art, like, they look like posters. Uh, I, super cool. Super cool.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's definitely sweet. And the, the Kaldheim metal uh, or logo being um, uh, reminiscent of those unreadable black metal band logos. Yes. Is just a good... It's like a good little, like you know, tongue-in-cheek reference to to metal. I was not. I don't know why I was not expecting Call to to be like the metal tie-in set because I was thinking about this. What what is the most metal set? and or block or whatever that we've had previous to this and i think it's probably invasion just because the phyrexians are like super like messed up metal and like if you look at the art in invasion block it's like there's a lot of that i guess in like urza's because it's got the uh, original phyrexian negator but i feel like invasion is where it got like really metal because they were actually invading dominaria and it's like oh it's just brutal
1: yeah, I, I do want to say, actually, I, when I was a long time ago, when they came out, I actually read the, I used to read all the magic novels, so I've read the Invasion, plane Shift, Apocalypse one, and they mm-hmm. were, they were you know, like, pretty dark relative to the other ones. I think the only, the one, blo- uh, you know, book series uh, that actually I think was, like, the most dark or, you know, metal per se, I mean, literally it's Mirrodin, but also Mirrodin was, like, <laughs> really... never a lot of dark connotations. No, no, no. And... I, yeah,
2: I read the Mir- Mirrodin Trilogy as well and, like, when you when you read it, you're like, oh my god. It's, like, super graphic. Like, Slowbad gets tortured to death and, like, dismembered. It's, like, they, they really... It's weird how, like, super, super violent and graphic the, those books were, especially because they were kind of, like, young adult novels and they weren't really, like... Like, it's weird that, like, the the themes and the, the writing di- weren't... That you know, advanced to to me, <laughs> it wasn't, like super subtle or anything like that. But yet, it was just like super graphic. I Just maybe it was a unique reading experience. But us- usually, when I when I read a book that has you know a little bit more graphic content of most uh most types it usually has some sort of very you know philosophical deep stuff going on like the dune series comes to mind or like wheel of time which and wheel of time is not even that graphic but i guess probably song of ice and fire for people is is the the thing where it's like oh yeah it's super graphic but like there's all these like big political machinations and they're talking about the nature of humanity and you know the the value of of putting these like you know, very intelligent, charismatic people on top, or, or not, or whatever it is. But Invasion had this sweet section where they go to the core of Phyrexia, um, Gerard and Urza, and then they, they have to fight in the Coliseum, but the Coliseum's actually just Yawgmoth. And then he decapitates Urza, but then Urza's still alive because he's a planeswalker. It's, like, it's super crazy.
1: Weird stuff.
0: <laughs> Are we uh, outing ourselves as paper boomers here? Ba- back in our day, uh, children's books had decapitations <laughs> We are paperback boomers.
2: Thank you very much. We are paperback boomers. You had to buy the magic novel in paperback form. So I think we should coin the new term paperback boomer for uh, for this whole section that we've got going on. Isn't
0: that a Beatles Uh, song? Paperback boomer?
2: Yeah, I think so. so. (laughs) It's a good one. It's a good one.
0: Although uh, I'm I'm partial to the tax man as well. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Good one.
1: One of my faves.
0: All right, all right. So, uh, why don't we dive into um, a little bit of this uh, current meta game? What are we seeing here, Zach?
2: Well, um, we we had uh, the modern challenges from last week. So, as uh, as usual, we're, we were recording on a weekend. So, it's actually Sunday. Right now, it's Sunday the 20th of December, so uh, incoming Christmas, and the holiday season continues. And uh, we're talking about uh, challenges from one week ago today. So there are currently some modern challenges going on right now. Um, Canister actually is on some ridiculous 6-0 tear with Blue-Green Titan field, um, which I'm sure we'll cover that. And he's also dressed as Seto Kaiba. Literally dressed up in cosplaying Seto Kaiba while wrecking with Blue Green Titan Field right now, so just thought that was worth noting. But anyway, uh, these challenges from last weekend, um, while being very diverse, are are quite, uh, let's say, aggressively slanted, and the meta game in general seems aggressively slanted. But let's just run through these real quick. And I, I went slightly uh, more overboard on listing some of the uh, some of the top contender lists. Um, because I wanted to show off that while there is a diversity in strategies, there's not as heavy a diversity in decks. So what do I mean? Okay, so on the, on the, on the Saturday challenge, we've got um, first place, Black-White Hammer Time. So that's a slight dark horse, but we, we've seen this deck, you know, kind of uh, jumping up there. And it's a slight tweak on the uh, mono-white version that most people were playing for the last couple weeks. Uh, second place, we have Rakdos Mid-Range. This is actually Black-Red Mid-Range. It is all the slow cards. It's a four of <laughs> Blood Moon. And um, uh, just generally, like, uh, it's, it's basically Mardu Pyromancer or Greenless Jund um, for anyone who, who's sort of familiar with that deck list. Um, then we've got the Rakdoth's, uh Scourge Shadow in third, uh, an Uro Omnath in fourth, uh, the M Mono Red deck, which seems to have completely supplanted uh, Red Prowess. That's in fifth, um, another Uro Omnath in sixth. Blue Black Mill in 7th, and Oops All Spells in 8th. And then just coming underneath that, all the way down to 16, we have uh, Heliod Company, uh, we've got Mono White Hammer Time, we've got Belcher, we've got another Heliod Company, Sultai Uro, Rakdos Shadow, Blue Green Titan Field in 15th, I think that was Canister last week, and uh, 16th Heliod Company, splashing red for Boyle and Megas of the Moon. Um, So that's Naya Heliod Company. Then there was in 20th place, we had Sodek on Dredge. And 31st place, we had Miracles uh, with uh, TSP Gendrick, uh, who is a big time control player. So control in the classical sense is mostly absent from this one, or at least uh, severely deficient. um, With uh, Uro Omnath essentially supplanting the kind of control deck of the format. Um, and then I think Blue Black Mill having an edge here in that um, Heliod Company is quite popular, which goes to Infinite Life, but Blue Black Mill can still take them down. Um, Infinite Life, of course, is obviously very useful in this format because most of these decks just can't beat it. They will, like, the Rakdos midrange deck, I mean, they made second, so, you know, clearly they had the tools to succeed. Um, but I don't think that that can beat Infinite Life. If your opponent goes to Infinite Life, you're, you're done. You just cannot win that game anymore. Um blue green titan field i think um in its main deck configuration can't and maybe post board it can but uh, i think they're pretty weak to to infinite life so uh generally seems like a good time to be playing heliod company or one of these really strong red decks (laughs) oh there's a child
1: i do want to say real quick that i was actually watching cancer stream this blue green uh, titan field deck and while i agree that the you know, losing infinite life is relevant the fact that you actually have to click through infinite life on magic online is not and i believe oh, yeah i mean it just depends on how you want to play the challenge
2: because I-, I watched aspiring spike uh play against some of the infinite life people and it seems to be uh, pretty standard to just announce that you're just not going to kill them by attacking them to death um which obviously you can circumvent and there's nothing they can do about it other than try to shame you on twitter
1: yeah i mean the interesting thing was like i mean i think this is just a very interesting question in general uh, but, Cancer was 2-2 in a prelim and he was playing infinite life deck, and, you know, when you have, like, $30 on the line, he's just like, I'm straight up, like, I don't care about infinite life, like, I'm just, I'm gonna skip it, I'm just gonna kill you, and so, you know, the guy gained 300 life, but, there's a way to make a shit ton of feel of the Dead tokens. Oh, yeah, I mean, you
2: could definitely overcome it, yeah, and yeah. that's what I'm saying, is, like, if you, if you don't care about, sort of, like, I guess, magic online etiquette, or whatever you want to call it, um, and everyone has their own line so i'm not telling anyone where to draw theirs you know um yep, yep. Do, do play play the game the way you will be happy to play the game and uh try to let it go if someone else uh beats you at the at the client because that's just the fact of the matter i mean um in legacy there was a guy who was going to i think win the challenge with dragon uh, and he timed out because the combo takes forever i mean that's it's just part of the game, Brian.
0: Uh, I, I will, I will draw a line in the sand. If you are uh, making somebody click it out when you have no outs specifically because you're trying to punish them for the deck choice that they are making, then you're petty and you need to reevaluate <laughs> your lo- life choices. Uh, if you are, okay, that,
2: that's, that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. I, that's, that's, fair. that's, that's if, the if, only but, thing that, but if you're me. still, yeah, if you're still um, live in the match sure. and you want them to burn their clock. Yep. That's legitimate online strategy. Whereas, yeah, if you have no outs and you're definitely going to die, like they have eight minutes and their combo is going to take five minutes and you're just making them do it because it's tedious. Yeah, that's you know what? That's petty. And uh, maybe you can grow up. It, and, that's, and you know what? If you're not ready to grow up, that's fine. Just, just you know,
0: it's it's specifically the people who are, are saying things like, well, you know, I don't like playing against combo decks, so I'm doing this to punish you. That's that's the sort right. of thing that I'm like, you know, that that's a real problem. Uh, I've basically adopted the stance that Magic Online is a separate game. Magic in paper has uh, tournament rules, section 4.4, uh, where you you know it basically specifies that you must absolutely must shortcut a loop if it is available. You cannot play it out because it is a waste of both players' time. That is not well, possible time. in mm-hmm. Magic Online. Um, and yep. as such, they have different rules, so I consider them different games. So if you want to burn the clock or if you want to burn your opponent's clock, I think that's fine. If you're doing it because of some sense of spite because you don't like the deck that they chose, then that seems like a you problem, not a them problem. That's all I'm getting at.
1: And, you know, I think the way you're coming from this, like the only time you play these decks, Brian, is when you're doing Urza Sword. And <laughs> I think Urza Sword is a little different from like the Heliod combo. You know, like if they have a Ballista... On I mean I'll generally you know, I only play in leagues really, so like I'll I'll be happy to scoop if you infinite life and I can't beat it. Uh, but you know, like maybe in a high stakes more high stakes tournament when there's like thousand dollars on the line it could be different. But the infinite life combo, if you don't have the ballista there, it's just infinite life, whereas if you're doing Thopter Sword, like you do you get infinite Thopters and like, you know, you will win the next turn. It's not like infinite life where now the game has to go on. So I feel that you know, for the Thopter Sword it's still like they should you know, I feel like it would be more respectable to just scoop because they will kill you next turn regardless, unless you top take the wrath or whatever, and or if you can do the end of turn, then nothing really matters. But with the Heliod combo, like the game still goes on after that, which I think is actually a relevant difference.
0: Oh, for sure, and, and I would never say that you should scoop just because somebody had a combo, especially if you have outs or there's something that you can play to. Uh, I'm I'm strictly speaking to the people who announce that they're doing it as some form of, form of punishment that's mm. you know yeah. there, there used to be a lot of and, chatter about this on the the magic arena subreddit where people would be like oh I rope because I'm punishing control players or I rope because I'm yeah. punishing yeah combo that's players. that's just that's just not
2: that's reprehensible is what that right is. I mean that, that's and, yeah. but uh, roping is totally different from what we're talking about but it's the same concept if yep. it's just if you're just spiting people that's that's really not okay yep, yep. Um, and on I mean I mean the 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 most um, the most uh i don't know primitive version of this on magic online is just like walking away from your client without passing priority and just making your opponent wait until you time out like that's just rude like why 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 make someone wait eight minutes and it it, it doesn't even have to be it doesn't matter what kind of deck they're playing if you just hate losing to burn walking away and making your opponent waste eight minutes of their life waiting to win that match that they've already won is just rude it's just not Yep, you know. Yep, yep. And this is basically an extension of that. Um so it's yeah, it's pretty pretty unacceptable. Um I will say if you want to spite control players, here's the real tech. You keep playing the game that you've 100% lost and let them just keep gaining more advantage. You know, if they have a Teferi emblem and they've exiled all your permanents, <laughs> just stay in that game, you know? Just stay in that game forever. Control players hate drawing cards. They hate activating powerful planeswalker <laughs> effects and you you get them. Just get them. Because they're gonna, they're just gonna hate having a Teferi fairy emblem and then playing another to and you're sitting there with nothing and discarding the hand size every turn, and they're, they're just gonna hate their life. Yeah. So you should just definitely punish them that
0: way. I, um, the notion that people would would be punished by playing the deck that they chose to play is just uh, that one. Well, that, for
2: for, for click intensive combo decks, I get it because like playing yeah, grinding yeah. breach is not not a pleasant experience uh, online. It's, it's a lot of clicks. Yeah, that's um, fair. And and you have to go through it right in order to win the game, but then it's it's actually quite deterministic, and so it's it's very very easy to to get through it fairly quickly. It takes about two minutes, uh, maybe a little bit less if you're if you're quicker. So moving on to the Sunday challenge after that <laughs> rather large uh, detour, uh, we it was won by Uro Omnath. Um, more on that in a minute. Uh, second place, Mono White Death and Taxes. Third place, Omelet Titan. Um, so that is the speedy combo version with amulet uh fourth place teamer uro so we do have a high placing uh, control deck here fifth place sodek with dredge uh i actually made sure this time because i think sodek won a challenge a little while ago and i assumed he was on uh dredge and he was in fact on oops all spells uh but it looks like he's back on dredge and it looks like dredge is being successful this is one of the things i thought could happen because it looked like the meta was a little bit uh a little bit vulnerable to it um Sixth place devoted druid. Seventh place um, mono blue. Oh no, sorry, blue. This is a blue tron. I, I wrote this wrong. This blue tron splashing red in the sideboard for blood sun. That's nice. tech. And then eighth place uh, miracles. So this is um, th- this one is a little bit more control heavy overall. Um, and then ninth place uh, obosh red. Tenth or omnath again. Eleventh green white titan and thirteenth green white titan. Demir mill and twelfth. Um, Electro Balance 14th, Blue Moon 15th, and Black Red Death Shadow in 16th. So this day overall was a lot more mid-range and control with two green-white Titan decks, 11th being the highest they got for this weekend, But um, and then Amulet all the way up in third place. So either there was a meta adjustment from the previous day where a bunch of people got really clever and noticed how many people were just playing like Red Burn and uh, Heliod Company because we see Heliod Company totally absent in this top chunk.
0: Um, Brian, I'm starting to think that maybe this primeval titan is a good card.
1: Uh, <laughs>
0: you know, I see these titan lists. It's not lists, bad. It's, uh, I wonder if it can really find a home in modern though. No, I, I'm actually um, I'm most interested in this electro balance list. I I play against this. I feel like maybe once every two or three leagues, and it either just like completely whiffs or <laughs> yeah. it just wrecks your day. And I want to know this pilot that took it to 14th place. Did they buy a lottery ticket? Because I feel like if you make it into the top 16 with Electro Balance, you should be buying a lottery ticket. It just, I, I don't know. You know, sometimes they go off and it's like turn two. I i just, I have them facing down 16 power worth of Rhinos. Sometimes. Uh, oh, yeah. Sometimes they upkeep it, like before you've
2: taken any game action. Oh, yeah. They just go land go. And then during your upkeep, they go, okay, pitch Simeon Spirit Guide, Electro Balance, here's my Rhinos. They've got two 4-4s on turn one. Yep. And uh, they're just all in, you know? They're just like, all right, this is all I got. Yep. And that's actually not even true. Because they, they didn't really spend that many resources to get there. It's three cards, but they can um, recover quite easily by playing uh, Ancestral Visions with As Foretold. Or, and in that situation, even suspending it, because it's going to take you a while to uh, deal with the rhinos usually. Yeah. Unless you're very lucky you've got a double fail push hand or something goofy.
0: I It, um, it makes me um, afraid for, you know, the longer that we go, the more I think we're going to see either uh, additional ways to, to cast these suspend spells, or maybe we'll see more Suspense spells in Modern Horizons, too. But I feel like, um, as foretold, is like a moderately decent speculation because I could see just one more card coming along that puts I'm, this over I'm the edge. I'm definitely going to
1: agree that, you know, I hate facing Electro drives me crazy, you know, especially, like, sometimes <laughs> I'll be on, like, a Chalice of the Void Teferi deck, Yeah. And it's like, oh, yeah, like, yeah. I should crush them. But sometimes they just crush you anyways, even though, like, you have one of 12 outs that just shuts down their whole deck.
0: Mm, and that drives yeah. me
1: pretty cool cr- you know just like oh like well, the last card has to be balanced and i'm gonna or I'll, and i'll be fine and like of course it's the balance and it's just yep. one of those like high variance, just like high rolling combo decks you know probably like worse than oops all spells or like you know oops i hate magic just uh you know probably just i maybe similar to a little worse than uh neo brand now uh but uh yeah it's just i don't know i don't it's just how modern is right now. You have a lot mm. of these high-variance combo decks running around that, Because if you notice here,
2: Oops oops is absent on this day, all the way down to 16th at least. Just not not there. Same with Belcher, whereas the previous day it was all over it. So between these two days, we have an incredible delta of the decks that are rising to the very tippy-top of, um, to uh, of the competitive modern format here. So, I mean, that is... Wonderful to see, in my opinion, uh, in just that there is that much flex to the metagame, and I think that the card choices and deck choices matter a
1: lot. So I'm actually this is something that I've been thinking about, and I was actually listening to Midweek Metagame, the podcast with Harry, uh, Pat, and Gabe Nasif, and mm-hmm. uh, Nasif, and he's been focusing a lot on Standard Historic due to being in the MPL. But he was saying that occasionally, like he still loves modern, he'll jump into it, and that he actually hasn't really been liking modern right now, because it, you know, the ways that you lose just don't seem very fun. It's not fun to lose to turn three Tron. It's not fun to lose to Blood Moon. It's not fun to lose into red and six into Force of Negation, into uh, Bolt, into Jace the Mind Sculptor. You know, it's not fun to lose to an Uro that you're not able to deal with. Uh, Field of the Dead. You know, I just watching a lot of streamers play. I was watching Spike play. And, you know, sometimes it'll be, like, his Lotus Field Control deck versus Four-Color Money Pile. And, you know, like, Spike will be in a great position, doing really well. You know, his opponent really didn't do anything except get a Field of the Dead down. And then just, like, all you need is, like, an Ura or just need to slip a, a promise of, of an Hour of Promise, Our promise. through. And, yeah. like, you know, like, his opponent casted three relevant spells the whole game. And now just, like, he's just gonna, like, Spike has no chance. He's facing down, like, six zombies with like a fetch and a renin6, and it's just like, okay, you know, like this, this is probably going to be over. And I actually wonder, you know, kind of talking about the high variance, these, everyone looks at, you know, look, the challenger adults, you're like, oh, wow, it's Mono rotates so fast, everything, you know, goes up and down, it's great. But I wonder if maybe modern is just becoming so, you know, all the decks are just such high powered and they're becoming so consistent in doing what they're doing, that, you know, it's kind of this, this randomness that we assume is that we kind of think oh you know this is healthy but maybe it's just because like every deck is kind of like high variance enough and powerful it has like some powerful draws that you know if you have a good run with mono white taxes you can easily make the top eight of a you know top eight of the challenge do done with pretty much any deck now so what if it's just you know kind of all the decks are too powerful in that you know like every time just kind of rolling the dice and what happens happens like all decks have the potential to be at the top uh, because they they all have so much inherent power, power and just depends on what other decks they face and how well you draw. Uh, but I,
2: I think this weekend is almost uh, a good data point to refute that idea that it's just purely random and purely like just play a good deck and jam and hope. Because we can see a huge delta and a very clear one in the two days with some decks being absolutely absent on one or the other. And some decks putting multiple copies into the top on, on one deck one day and then, and then not, not the other. So there are some of them that are repeating through, like Obosh Red and uh, Uro Omnath. But most of the other ones sort of jiggled around in, in the numbers. And uh, again, like Oops is totally, totally wiped out. And some of the other decks are, are totally wiped out on the first day. So, I mean, I'm not saying you're not right. But I, I, I will say, like, the meta read for these challenges is 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 important for the challenges. But for leagues, I, I think what you're saying is probably a lot more true.
1: I mean, but the thing is that, you know, you have, with this one data point, you can't, That unfortunately, there's no way to prove whether or not, you know, my hypothesis that this mm-hmm. this huge delta is due to the fact that everything is so random and everything is so probable versus this huge delta is due to the fact that Modern has time to adjust the day, you know, day by day and you know that's just something we can't figure out but i've you know i'm mean, overall you know i kind of like when we uh just i've been playing facing a whole bunch of red decks recently like red mm-hmm. prowess just like red obosh blue red prowess i've run into a couple times in the league red black scourge uh, a lot of burn just like bird being everywhere i haven't i don't know i haven't been super happy with the state of modern recently it just feels like you just run into these powerful decks and there's just nothing you can do they just kind of you know, like, you run into a four-color money pile, and they have the Ren and Six forced Negation into Bolt path adjacent to the Mind Sculptor, and, like, you know, like, they're so far ahead because they've answered your, maybe even a Mana League like, 2, like, like, they've answered three to four of your things. They have adjacent the Ren and Six on the field, like, they're going to be gaining at least plus two cards a turn and a Brainstorm. It's just, you know, like, what can, like, every time that I play a deck without Ren and Six, I'm always just like, wow, just... Why am I not playing Ren and Six? Like that card is so busted. Like hit your land drops every turn. Like that's nuts.
2: I I've seen money pile faff around and do nothing. Like that deck is it beats itself a good percentage of the time even when you're not doing anything that proactive against it like sometimes it's just super slow and like you just like mana leak them once and they're just nowhere like they resolved a turn two renin six and then they didn't have anything else to go with and they're just slow rolling their way to a field of the dead and you could beat that so
1: yeah but sometimes sometimes you hey you can't beat that and you know i think this is in my experience you know, I money pile. Maybe, maybe I've just been more unlucky than I've been lucky recently. But mm. money pile and these sorts of decks, you know, I feel like they've always had it. And like, even with my good, uh, you know, like good starts, or thinking, oh, I think I'm going to be in a good place. And, you know, just it can snowball very, very fast.
2: Yeah. I, I, the, the, a lot of the losses I have to red decks, though, even if I was playing money pile and I had an ideal draw, I would still lose because Ren and Six on Turn Two doesn't kill any of their creatures. Um, and then you 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 could play an uro on turn three and then just die the next turn like and not by a little sometimes they'll overkill you by a lot so it's like you know
1: yeah I mean you know I've escaped uro on turn two against mono red on the plane right. I've still right. lost that game like pretty handily actually right. like I mean mm. I think the you know I mean I think the red decks kind of fit into the problem that we're talking about like everything in modern is just so good that you know just yeah. the amount of times that you and I have been killed by a turn three. Double lava dart nonsense drop our prowess. Yeah, it
2: feels like it's like a turn two point five format. Yeah, which is crazy to say, Brian.
0: So if if we feel like there are you know even a, a broad set of decks that have sort of risen to the top and like we can reasonably expect to see these in the leagues over and over and over. Uh, or even just a single color like red that we expect to see over and over and over. And I, I also have seen a ton of red. Um, I actually managed to get in a couple more leagues than I normally do uh, because of the holidays and whatnot. And I played uh, just one match, but started to play in the Mana Traders series. And yeah, a lot of red running around. So is it time for us to be targeting you know, specific strategies or targeting the top meta decks and trying to brew in that direction? You know, do we think that there is is something there that we can sort of latch onto and exploit?
1: And don't you go threatening me with a good time playing Chalice of the Void, Brian. You know, you know I'm not about that life. I, I've actually thought that Chalice of the Void is a
2: really good uh, card right now, and I think the last couple of leagues that I've played, uh, my hypothesis is on shaky shaky ground. Not Sometimes right. it's insane, but if they like all the decks that get hosed by it are playing Inquisition or Thoughtseize for the most part, and the decks that aren't playing Inquisition or Thoughtseize are prepared for it. So if you like look through the list, like. The Rakdos deck—it's playing a braid in the main deck. They're ready. They're just ready. So, and they're—they're they're not. All, they're also not overly committed on the one CMC. If you run into Scourge Shadow, sometimes they have a draw with with the Scourge of the Skyclaves after they've gotten in their early beats. So, um, I think turn one, <laughs> turn one Chalice, maybe, maybe turn one Chalice is really good right now. Um, but slow, uh, turn two. It has not seemed except yep. like now I'm not saying I haven't won games on the back of a chalice. I'm just saying the chalice is not the only thing you have to be able to defend it. It's not just going to auto win the game. Nobody scoops to turn, turn two chalice on the play. They, they, they will play through and they, they can beat you. So um, uh, just yesterday I went to, uh, went through a league with Mr. Rayebs uh, uh, blue green Urza chalice deck. And I went two three, and uh, but I lost to two different red slash red black decks that were able to just play through the chalice Oof. or Thoughtseize it and kill you. Um, so it's definitely something to consider. The other thing too is that when you're just playing against this wide meta game, chalice just doesn't doesn't beat everything. You need to have a strategy for the mid range decks or the bigger decks because they really don't care about your chalice, and you just you're wasting four main deck slots and potentially leaning. Um, like a bunch of your strategy on hoping that chalice is going to keep you alive at games and, and it just might not. So this speaks to the variance thing you were talking about where it's like, Oh, well I, I mulled to six and kept the chalice hand and then I, and I hit the wrong matchup and I'm just dead. Yep. So you need to have a sideboard strategy. And that's what I'm saying is like, this is, I don't know. I, I think this can feel good if it, if the games weren't so tough sometimes in that you're just so constantly losing, you're either under the gun on turn two and you're gonna lose next turn or be virtually dead or you're playing against someone who's just going to go so much bigger than you that you're under the gun in the different direction where it's like okay you, you've got to get on board and do something because they are going to take over this game with with a totally unassailable
0: advantage um so it just yeah. feels very extreme it sounds to me like we need to build a deck that plays <laughs> main deck chalice and yep. field of the dead and then a bunch of uncounterable ramp spells so that our opponent can't interact with us in any meaningful way as we build a giant board of field of the dead tokens
2: you know it's funny because right now canister is on that ridiculous streak i assume he's 7-0 by now um with the blue green titan field deck which actually closely matches that description and is in fact playing chalice of the void so it's not playing four of um which you know uh definitely could have been a choice but uh but it does fit that mold. Um, so and he's doing well with it. So yeah. You know. Interesting. Yeah, I'm so I'm I, I basically think, canister. Think this is Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, I you know, I I love this idea. I've actually been thinking about this for a while. Uh, you know, just like going along with Project Prison, yeah. I mean I love, you know, SSG Renin Six, you know, turn one and Six or Chalice of the Void's pretty sweet. Uh, these other you know, I just love the concept of ultimating Renin Six uh, and having the emblem and then having an assassin structure occur that's just like that that can beat anything you know you can deal with don't walking. don't
2: tempt me with a good time yeah. now i'm gonna have to finally explore playing a jun version of my life from the Lomelands. yeah Ooh, no I, yes
1: this is, I, this is definitely something we should talk about because i have yeah i have also thought about these similar concepts and you know challenges yeah we got to
2: figure out stuff. something better to play than um Seismic Assault. It might just be to play Titan in a Chalice Jund Blood Moon deck. So like, that no. might o- honestly be the, 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 the fastest road to Rome. So, I'm not going to uh,
1: brew with Titan.
0: Not to get too, uh, too far ahead of ourselves, but I, I've been uh, playing with um, Arcbound Ravager uh, the past couple of days, and I, I've really been enjoying it. And with the Ozolith, you can build up a lot of counters very quickly. Um, I also really like playing with ensnaring bridge, which seems like it might be a nombo when you've got a huge arcbound ravager. But oh, you can sack it to the ravager. Ah, uh, yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, but there's also other things you could do, like hide behind said bridge for as long as you need until you have enough counters, and then sacrifice the ravager to like an alternative of dementia to just completely mill your opponent out uh this that's that's a wild one uh uh, yeah a little bit off the hook but you know were prison used to be a thing uh and maybe it could be a thing again where you just assemble your lock pieces and you keep them stuck there Uh you chew through a bunch of artifacts and then you alter of dementia mill them out in a single turn
2: i i think the number of cryptic decks that are floating around right now Mm. means that that's unlikely to be successful but i i want to dream big with you Uh, guttural response look yeah, if we if we actually look well, like well, um, can guttural no guttural response won't go through your chalice though because so that's I'm, the thing is right. we're prison War prison is a chalice deck.
1: I'm gonna propose. I think this is actually a pretty good spot if anyone just wants to make some final comments on their thoughts on the model and the meta game. So this seems like a pretty yeah. good time to like go to projects and kind of talk about this a little bit more I, in I agree. more detail. I-
2: Uh, well, we've got a sweet list to start with, right? Red, Red Tron. So we are we are looking at our our uh, project updates from our from our budget brewing week, and uh, I got to help both of you guys work on uh, different versions of Emma's Tron decks. So Brian. Uh, would you like to introduce the fabulousness that is red tron i mean yeah this is sick.
0: uh i don't i don't want to say this was an emma deck she did share a red tron list uh this was kind of my mm. own creation i don't i because i'm about to say some disparaging things about my own brew so i don't want any of that <laughs> okay. put on good good, good, good yeah um, no that's fair so i i went into this week wanting to either play with the tron lands or artifacts um like i said you know last time both are uh, on the cheaper end of things, but they do have really powerful payoffs, uh, even off-meta payoffs that are you know budget in this case. Um, so I started with a mono-red Tron deck uh, that Zach had talked about last time, and I basically came to many of the same conclusions. Um, I was playing the Forge forgemaster combo uh, where you try and get down some Lightning Greaves, you get out a Forge Master, and then you sack a bunch of artifacts to the Forge Master to tutor up a Blightsteel Colossus and then hopefully swing for the same turn kill. Um, I also jammed in there some support package with a Goblin Engineer so that I had a little bit of grind if I needed it. Um, and, you know, just kind of like a graveyard centric synergy package. Uh, Turns out that jamming two completely wildly divergent strategies into the same deck didn't pan out. Um, I guess that probably should have been obvious in hindsight, but uh, you know sometimes it's nice to have a pivot plan, and so I was kind of thinking, well, you know, if your Tron gets hosed, you still have the Goblin Engineer stuff, you can really grind it out. Uh, but it turns out that Koldotha really wants an abundance of cheap artifacts out on the board early. Um, Goblin Engineer also kind of wants that, and because I was sort of filling up with all of these other cards, I found that I either often did not have enough artifacts to sacrifice to the Forge Master uh, without sacrificing my Lightning Greaves or something else that was kind of critical to the plan. Um, Forge Master is also kind of a huge liability. So I was uh, going up against decks that were playing Tails End and they would let me assemble a little combo. I would go to <laughs> oh, sacrifice no. my artifacts and then I would get my activation Tails Ended. I would be completely dead on board and, you know, just kind of sitting there with no cards in hand and nothing really to do, hoping to rip something off the top. And then I would get some dinky little artifact that didn't really do anything. (laughs) Um, So the, the Forge Master combo is sweet, But I think that you need to be playing with probably a better support package that's focused on supporting that combo. So more artifacts uh, that are cheap or free to put down so that you have that abundance and you're not completely dead on board when you go to sacrifice. Um, Maybe things like uh, Servo Schematic that can produce two artifacts when they come down, things like that. Maybe even like a Gilded Goose type situation. Although, uh, you know, I don't really know you want to be doing that with Tron Lands. Um, On the Goblin Engineer side of things, it wasn't entirely clear uh, how to build with that. This is something that I've kind of been exploring, but the Koldotha Forge Master side of things was definitely not it. I was thinking that I would be able to um, entomb some of the bigger plays like worm Coil Engine with the Goblin Engineer and then bring it back with Trash for Treasure. I think that there's still some room for exploration there, but because there's only four Goblin Engineers, it's really hard to rely on that. So oftentimes I would have uh, Trash for Treasure in hand and then no good targets for it or... I would entomb something with the Goblin Engineer, but I wouldn't have the Trash for Treasure to bring it back out. And so it was just a little too finicky to to be effective, I think. Um, yeah, that was that was kind of how that one shook out. It was two m- medium plans jammed together to make a maybe less than medium deck.
1: And uh, I mean, this list looks, you know, very interesting, very cool. I can, you know, definitely see the two medium plans you mentioned. God, the Goblin, I really love that you're exploring the Goblin Engineer side of things. I, you know, that's the card actually that I want to dive really deep into because it's got a really cool, really powerful effect. You know, if you just drop it on turn two and you got an echo, get an Echor Wellspring, just like now they have to deal with it, you're going to be drawing a, at least a card a turn, if not more. I actually remember this is, uh, this was probably like a little after Hogax summer uh, when Urza, Thopter, like, you know, the blue black, the Esper, the Grixis variants were, you know, like really, really good. Sam Black actually uh, she started trying out the Words of Deck just to see what it was all about. And he said that the most interesting thing about the Words of Deck to him was that it was the, uh, was until then, it was the deck that he played that felt most similar to the original Birthing Pod lists. Where welder being able, where Goblin Engineer being able to tutor the different artifacts, and you know, kind of like you play Engineer in game two, and whatever you tutor will determine your game plan for the next several turns, uh, which that always really fascinated me because I'm a huge Sam Black fan. I think he has like his his ability to evaluate cards is really top notch. You know, I stole the mana base, the five color Niv mana base with the Snow Basics and the Astrolabe from him. That worked out really well. You know, I've got a I just I really respect and admire his you know, how he evaluates cards and the fact that he said that Goblin Engineer feels like Birthing Pod used to and Birthing Pod is like, you know, the deck that I really the first competitive deck that I did really, 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 really well with, like in competitive magic, uh, you know, kinda that's always been in the back of my mind like that's oh, something I wanna pursue. So this is something we can, you know, work on further, definitely. But I do I do love that you're exploring Goblin Engineer and all these, you know, very non traditional shells.
2: Yeah, yeah. It- it's uh i've been constantly thinking but maybe just because it's great for uh, youtube views that i want to do something uh with with getting lantern back um and the the problem with it is that the other thing that i want to do is play goblin engineer and emery in a chalice shell Hmm. so i'm just not really sure how to reconcile those two things um the the blue green urza chalice deck that i played the other day is playing emery and so that kind of scratched that itch in one direction um and it's just you know going uh playing this like powerful mid-range urza plan with with uh chalice to sort of help you get through the early game against the uh the very very quick decks and i i feel like some of that could be applied to this goblin engineer mono red deck the one criticism i have of this deck is that i feel like you need more forge masters and you need more trash for treasures if you're going to play either of those cards in any number yeah i I would i just want to see four of forge master four of trash for treasure and uh as i (laughs) mentioned at one point um, I want to see Platinum Empyrean in here, um, perhaps instead of Wormcoil Engine, just because I think that card is still pretty solid. Oh, also, Platinum Empyrean, and, and so we have Aspiring Spike to thank for both the proliferation of Tail's End and the proliferation of main deck um, artifact hate in the red decks, because they need to beat the Platinum Empyrean that he was uh, sort of making uh, very, <laughs> very 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 prominent. And um, I believe yesterday he, he, he had a really good run going with his Jeskai Lotus Sun deck. Um, but he had issued the sideboard plan of Madcap into Platinum Imperium because basically he was saying it, it was too well known, and that he could dodge uh, people bringing in the the sideboard hate that they needed to beat the Imperium, and he could just blank their blank the cards there.
1: I oh, also, well, I'm just gonna say, I actually don't think you want to put four Trash for Treasure and four uh, Koldoth the Forger Master into a deck that just. I well, mean, I mean, th- I'm not are... saying
2: they're great cards. I'm just saying if you're gonna play this strategy, I think you should go for it, right? Oh yeah. I really, mean, really go for it and see how good it can be.
1: That, that is fair. I, I you know, I've played, I've played decks that sound less clunky than that, and they felt like pretty awful. So I'm very, you know, I would just be well, very I, hesitant I, to put those.
2: I was very impressed when I played the mono red version on the first draft with with both those cards. And again, the, the, we weren't dealing with tails end at the time, but I, I still will say, like, I think cold off the forge master and trash for treasure like, they both have serious potential um it's it's kind of like the hammer time deck except slower and clunkier uh in that we <laughs> we but we have the ability on like on turn like three to put out like a blight steel colossus it's just gonna yeah. one shot our opponent and they have to deal with that now yeah and they're they're the same thing except they're quicker and they use the colossus hammer um yeah, so they, the they question can cigar does
1: a double colossus hammer on turn yeah, two. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Yep. Sure. I mean, but that takes more cards than what we're doing. Kind kind of. Well, <laughs> <it> <laughs> Force Master takes a lot of cards, kind of. <laughs> um, but but um, the the question is how best to shore up that shell and how best to um, have cards in the deck list that are tutorable by Goblin Engineer to be useful yeah. um while yeah. still Doing the thing, so maybe if we're gonna play four Trash for Treasure and four Forge Master, we should be playing blue for Emery. Well, but again, I, I actually went. We don't need the Tron lands so much in that shell. Yeah. So you're going down a totally different route. So uh, all of a sudden,
0: that's that's kind of what I I came to the conclusion of. I think that in the case of the the Forge Master combo, the Tron lands were actually great. There were mm. I think two games that I won on the back of a natural Tron into lightning greaves, forge master, you know, tutor up the blight steel colossus and win on turn three. Um, so that did happen like uh, a non-negligible number of times. And I think that focusing on sort of Tron, Koldotha package is good. And then just cut all of the Goblin Engineer Trash for Treasure stuff. I think that's a separate deck and probably doesn't want yep. the Tron lands. Um, mm. This is how I actually started playing with the Arcbound Ravager. I thought, you know, one of the things that I want with the Trash for Treasure is additional ways to uh, sacrifice big artifacts. Um and so uh, I I busted out the uh, the Arcbound Ravager and I like the fact that you have an abundance of ways to sacrifice artifacts. Then so you kind of hit that rule of eight on the sacrifice effects. The problem is you still had to get out some of these bigger creatures. And so this is where maybe leaning into green for a little bit of ramp or something would make sense. Um, you know it wasn't quite clear how to build the Goblin Engineer deck but I like the idea of a Chalice deck that plays Engineer because you can still mm. tutor up things like a Pithing Needle and, and not cast it, but get it onto the battlefield through the, the Chalice if you need to.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. yeah, I completely agree with that. Uh, it's definitely... Goblin Engineer is a sort of tutor piece, a cheaper whir of uh, invention. Yep. I like
1: that a lot. Uh, I, yeah, this angle actually has always been really fascinating to me because you can add SSG and sim, like SSG and Chalice to void. So your turn one chalice is amazing at protecting your turn two goblin engineer, but also let's say you're you know you're facing uh, you know a deck like, uh, it's like you know just you're facing a deck and if you feel like you can just run out the turn one goblin engineer force them to have the answer if they don't like you know maybe you're facing blue white stone blade you can just turn one the goblin engineer uh, grab an icor wellspring they're essentially if they don't have path like. You know if they have path you're a little sad but you still you know two for one then you get three land on turn two that's sweet if they don't have path you're just going to start drawing at least one card per turn maybe two depending so i, I you know i just think that there's, there's What's well, a two for synergy. two right because you you set the spirit guide but oh yeah um, but but the you use it to ramp a land and you know especially yeah the, you still
2: get to ramp a land it's it's definitely it's definitely not a zero win situation and that kind of deck could slam four remaining deck blood moons so mm. now, now we might be cooking with propane. Unless you have a reason that you don't want to play Blood Moon.
1: Or... Uh, probably not. Unless you, if you want to do a second color, you know, if you want to go red, if you want to go green for Ren and Six and other things, or you could just not. Uh, you know, I think also, yeah, maybe a red-green shell like this sounds pretty interesting because you know, Ren and Six is good. Mox Amber is great with Goblin Engineer, and yeah, turn 2, Ren and Six, Mox Amber is still, you know, that's a free mana. You're still gonna on turn three, you're gonna be able to cast your four-drop. Which is, yeah, that's pretty sweet, you know, like for, for literally a free auto, using a free artifact to cast that. And, you know, maybe even have extra mana to weld out the Mox Amber once you're done using it, who knows.
2: So we've got our wild side project brews, our side hustle brews while we're, while we're dealing with whatever our main, our main hustle
1: is. Oh yeah, you're just like in the sciences, you know, you have your main experiments <laughs> that like you work with your boss to uh, plan out then you have your side experiments that are a little, you know, higher risk high reward and you don't tell your boss about them unless you get the results. <laughs> is that a
0: is that and a you euphemism? don't record
1: them
2: on your Magic the Gathering podcast. Uh, uh, that's I don't <laughs> think anyone I don't
1: I you know, I mean it's it's I'm pretty sure at this point it's an unwritten rule. I remember when I was uh, starting uh, in graduate school, I asked my advisor, I, was, I think I was like half a year in, doing in rotations, and I was like, hey, you know, just like, I feel like I'm pretty clueless, but I kind of want to start my own experiments. Like, you know, when do I start planning my own experiments instead of kind of doing these rotation ones? And she's like, honestly, Arun, you're probably going to start coming to, you know, you're going to start developing your own hypotheses. And you're going to start doing experiments without telling me, then you're going to tell me only when they work. And I'm just like, all right. Like, so it's I, I'm pretty sure it's up. So, so Under, that wasn't a Breaking Bad underrated.
0: situation. You're not advocating for making meth in the basement of a chicken <laughs> restaurant.
1: Uh, no, I mean, you know, I definitely, you know, not that much Breaking Bad, but definitely, you know, like some of these things. Just your hypothesis might be a little less concrete than other hypotheses you've been working with, uh, and you know, like high risk, high reward. No need to, you know, no need to mention I think those. Let's get through reward. I think
2: we definitely have some deck lists that look like that that we're gonna get to a little bit. Oh yeah. Later. <laughs> Um, so
0: do you do you have a
2: copy of this um, Arcbound Ravager deck that you were talking about, Brian? Uh, I would like
0: to. I do not. I it, put it up somewhere. So I um, I took this one through a couple heads up cues, uh, actually streaming in the the Faithless Brewing Discord, and it was um, it was bad. It was bad. Uh, <laughs> I learned that I like Arcbound <laughs> Ravager, but other than that, it was really, really bad. I don't even know if I kept okay, the list because It around.
2: sounded speculative to me, and you sounded so hopeful and positive about it. I was thinking you had some, some decent result with
0: it. No, no, no. It was really just a matter of like, oh, Arcbound Ravager is actually a really sweet card, and Modular is a really cool mechanic, um, and there's a lot of play here. So I think that there's still mm. room to explore. Uh, the particular shell that I used was not good. Yeah, mm-hmm. although, I, you yeah. know, uh, at least one of the losses, so I played three matches in the heads-up queue, and one of the matches was, like, I, I lost to Neoform, I think, on turn one, the first oh, game, boy. and on turn two or three, the second game, so that wasn't much of a game to, you know, give my get any results with, but the other matches mm-hmm. that I played just, it, it was clear that the deck was um, hastily put together, we'll say. With the Lightning <laughs> Graves? There were a lot of Lightning Graves, Was it griefs? shrouded yes. in mystery? Uh, Yeah, it was It was shrouded in Lightning Graves.
1: <laughs> so, kind of circling back, Brian, with the Monorad Tron deck, so what do you, you know, in terms of brewing with it, what are the, what do you think are the most prominent lessons you learned, and how is this, you know, what are you going to do after this? Are you, are you going to keep working on this? Or are you going to take the idea of, you know, maybe Goblin Welder is sweet, but the rest of the deck isn't, and do, you know, kind of go off that? What's the... What's the game plan like as a brewer, what do you plan on doing with this brew?
0: Yeah so you know I would like to return to both halves of the brew. I definitely want to split it into two separate lists. Um, I would you know want to figure out a way to proceed with the kodotha combo um, and maybe give that a little bit more support uh, in the form of cheaper artifacts or, or ways of pumping out additional artifacts so that it's not such a liability to do the the Tudor plan. Um, hmm. the, uh, on the goblin engineer side of things, like I said, I'm not quite sure where I want to take it. Uh, I would definitely want to keep exploring possibly into green. Um, I just, you know, the, the biggest lesson I think is that, uh, with the Tron list, you really need to have an abundance of large payoffs for Tron, right? Like getting yeah. Tron is not actually the difficult Part most of the time but ripping a goblin engineer off the top when you have tron assembled just doesn't feel good and so i can (laughs) understand why green tron plays so many huge threats and if they don't get tron they're pretty mopey unless they manage to get seven natural land drops or whatever you know if they're under a blood moon um but you know for for uh having tron assembled you know picking up anything that isn't like six cmc or higher just feels bad because you're like cool i have all this mana and i'm casting a two drop that does nothing right like grabbing expedition map after you already have tron is just kind of like oh okay well maybe i'll get another draw um yeah so that those are the biggest lessons i think is that uh you really want to focus when you're playing tron you really want to focus on the tron payoffs and as for the goblin engineer i've got a a boatload of question question marks around that one
1: yeah i mean i you know i think just looking at your list and what we've been talking about, it, I, I think this makes a lot of sense. I do I do like the splitting them into two. And this is also like why you know I think brewing is very fun, is that when you get to reflect on the brews, it's like, oh, you know, maybe I just have two. Like the deck, you know, sometimes feels great, sometimes it doesn't. But it looks like there's just two halves of two different decks in this brew. Like what if we just split them up and now we have two essentially new things to, you know, two projects to work with. Alright, so shall shall we get to the black Tron list then? This was Oh,
2: absolutely. This, I mean this stuff is this is hot fire, my friend.
1: Yeah, this is sweet. So this list actually, it was wonderful having Emma on two weeks ago. And you know, I you know, brewing on a budget is I've something totally new with. Uh, so I thought it'd just be, you know, she Emma mentioned that she had some pretty sweet Tron lists that were a little outdated, needed to be updated, that were pretty budget friendly. So it's like, oh you know, like I'd love to tweak these lists, they sound pretty sweet. So Emma gave me her original Black Tron list. And it was, I think it was two years old, so it was pretty ancient. But I think I only wound up changing like maybe 18 to 20 cards, which is, you know, thank goodness I had her list for reference, which is amazing. Uh, but her list, you know, I kind of like break down what it was. It was really cool. It's got the Tron lands plus swamps and then expedition maps uh, and some talismans. And then, you know, it's kind of standard Tron things like sweepers, etc. But the really interesting thing you get like so first of all why would you do mono black tron i mean i think the easy answer is because a it's a sweet concept but b black actually has some pretty sweet payoffs uh which you know i'm not really expecting i would not have even known where to start luckily M already had all the payoffs for me uh so the two big payoffs i'm gonna mention one is diabolic revelation uh so this this is actually this card was actually six it's we, so sweet we had some crazy lines so it's three black black x so at least five mana two black plus x and the text is essentially demonic tutor for x cards x cards like put an any x... cards
2: and you don't have to reveal them which is just got to be the most the most terrifying thing for your opponent right
1: yeah like we we were consistently like casting diabolic revelation x equals like three to four to like three to five and you know sometimes yep. we would even just cast it for four when we could have cast it for e- five yeah, I mean, even and- even x equals two was a
2: game win a couple times yeah
1: uh, you know like you grab an extra thought season so you thought seize them with your extra mana then you mm-hmm. still like got three cards it was you know like oh like i'm just gonna go grab my ulamog karn the great creator and then you know like maybe maybe a uh, karn liberated in case shit hits the fan you know it's it's, it's pretty- yeah that's that's that sounds like the lines pretty pretty hilarious and then so her list was really interesting but then i kind of had some ideas you know i don't unfortunately i'm not super creative and you're you know <laughs> if you tell me arun you gotta build a
2: jiggy wiggy you're, you're
1: gonna build a car you're gonna build a car you're gonna build a tron deck just like well uh you know give me some karn the great creator like it's the you know it was actually not it was still managed I... to be around 250 ticks so it was still pretty budget friendly uh mm. karn is just weird because it's expensive as hell online but it's cheap as hell in paper super cheap in paper yep.
2: and I, I i will say i mean come on uh, playing karn in your tron deck i mean maybe it's not the most creative thing but it's just so much better than most of the other things oh, you could do. Yeah. because when you're when your tron plan falls off the falls off the rails um having karn the great creator as like this very reasonable cost and it hoses a lot of stuff very very reasonably well not not it's not it's not a game win usually but it, <laughs> it just keeps you in the game it's yeah. so important
1: uh, yeah i mean i i remember hearing Faith this brewing uh, i think dan and dave were talking a long time ago i think they're doing one of their de- a devoted druid week or something like that but where they kind of mentioned that you know if you have a lot of mana like con the great creator like that should be your payoff like this is you know kind of like the best mana sink in modern right now and you know, I think that's probably correct. Uh, you know, the big reason is just, you know, Karn can be four mana, Karn to just to grab a crypt, it can be six to grab lip metal coating, or it can be, you know, just like twelve and you can go ahead and grab your Sundering Titan. So you can however much mana you have you can put into it. Uh but right. then and
2: that's just so important.
1: Yeah. And then the other kind of thing that I was curious about this deck was that I remember reading on Reddit or Modern a long time ago, uh, someone was talking about the good old days of how in Ravnica, no, it was Kamigawa, Mirrodin, Standard, and Extended. They uh, love to play mono blue control from way back then, from that day. And this mono blue control, actually, this is right when I started playing. I didn't know much about this deck when I was playing, but I actually had a good friend who played this deck and told me. And this was, you know, like Battlecom Shackles, with the Clouded Mirror, just like one of the... Yeah, exactly. Warm, oh, karns. Beautiful, beautiful Karns and it is anyway, yeah. a tap out you know, like one of the first mono blue like classic tap out control decks switching away from the drago going more to tap out this person is just like oh you know they love this style etc and then someone you know is there a deck like this in modern and someone mentioned that bluetron was actually the most similar list to what they were talking about which definitely you know this comment's been in the back of my mind for a long time and i was thinking about it's so like you know what if you know, what if we kinda of build this mono black tron deck along those lines? And so along those lines the other two things I wanted really wanted to test was that, you know, if we got conjugate creator, like I've always wanted to try wishlaw Talisman. Uh, this is mm-hmm. one in a black artifact from our favorite set, Throne of Eldrain. Uh, one in a black artifact that has the text one colorless tap uh, you demonic tutor uh, but then and an opponent gains control of wishlot talisman. Uh, and you can only use this on your turn. So this is, you know, it's a three mana demonic tutor that you can split over two turns, which is amazing. It can find your payoffs. You know, one of the things about Emma's list was that it didn't really have any tutors. It just had a whole bunch of payoffs. Uh, and, you know, that it's very easy to have your hand clogged up with payoffs. If you don't, if you just have so many. So Wishlock Talisman wasn't printed at the time. And so I added that to the list, especially, you know, the great Karn synergy. Wishlock and Complete Tron, it can find your payoffs. and. If you've got the mana, you know, you can really just like wishlaw grab Karn, cast Karn. Now Karn has invalidated the wishlaw Talisman, uh, which is actually happened a whole bunch of times. And if you've got five mana and a wishlaw, it essentially free rolls Karn for you, uh, which was actually a pretty great thing. And, uh, you know, I'm definitely, I want to this more in the future. And then the last kind of feature of, the, you know, this is, th- this deck is definitely pretty wild. The last feature I wanted to test was Force of Despair. Uh, This is the Black Force Cycle from Modern Horizons. It's one black black, and it has the Force text where if it's not your turn, you can exile a black card from your hand rather than pay its mana cost. And the text is destroy all creatures that entered the battlefield this turn. So my thoughts with this is that if you squint really, really, really hard and maybe turn your head a little bit, it's kind of like a Black Force of Will for creatures that doesn't deal with enters the battlefield effects. Which I'll admit not great. However, the ceiling is kinda of bananas. And like if you get more you know, if you can get a three for one with this, you know, especially when so dexter still the ground, if they go like turn two monster swift spear into Soul Scar Mage and you've got the Force of Despair, that's that's gonna be huge for you. It also just, you know, deals with kind of like maybe they're gonna have a Lurs coming down, so it's good to, good to have that. Uh, so I was very curious about this and especially, you know, three things are great. Uh, It helps to protect Karn because you're kind of like a Karn deck and then so the whole I'll go over the list that I wound up with at the end. I'll mention the cards that kind of got cut So I've got 20 lands uh, The 12 Urzas, Orborg, Blast Zone, Gemstone Caverns, and then five Swamps Uh, And the one drops I have two Blood Chiefs Thirst and two Inquisitions and two Thought Seas, four Expedition Maps and two Relics You know the Relics and a lot of these one drops you kind of be switching out for each other just depending how lucky you're feeling on two, we have four Wishclaw Talisman and four Talisman of Dominance and a Maze Mind Tomb. Then three Force of Despair, three Haggard Mauling, uh, which is, again, this is a, one of the black MDFCs from Zendikar. Uh, that is two, the front side is Haggard Mauling, so it's two black black. Uh, this spell costs one less to cast if an, if an opponent controls no basic lands and it's destro- murder attack to destroy target creature. Then if you don't like that, uh, you can play it as a tap black source for, uh, and, you know, actually, I, in the initial list, we had Palaka Predation, which is uh, two and a black uh, for, uh, what is it, Coercion, but CMC three or greater.
2: Three or greater. Yeah, it's it's really awkward. Yeah. It, but, it was, I mean, it, it, both of these cards are very, very underpowered on their front side, but they're still good enough and it's like it's really surprising and then just having the flexibility to have the extra like five lands in the deck so that sometimes you're you're sort of you you're slow rolling your way up to you know four or five mana and then completing your Tron later it, it's it's it was surprisingly good I would not have thought that Hagra Malling or or Palaka Predation would be at all playable but they were not as bad as I thought
1: yeah and also they pitched a force which is interesting I mm. can, I think After watching, talking to you a little bit, Zach, you know, Palaka Predation, the original, when I was also making this deck, some of the ideas came from the Mono Black Curses list in Legacy, which is probably the most similar thing. Uh, They get to be a little bit more degen, because they get the Soul Lands and Chalice of the Void and Dark Ritual and the Karn and Transphere, and, you know, then they play all these curses. Like, this one, this actually had some of these curses in the deck initially. Uh, that it's like five black and chance your opponent, and that it, being of each of your upkeeps, you get to search your library for a curse and attached to the opponent. So the, essentially the combo with this was you play that curse on them. Then your next upkeep, you uh, fetch Splendor second something? Some Splendor. I forget. Overwhelming like, Splendor. Yeah, Overwhelming Splendor, which is...
2: Yeah, which st- is humility plus uh, they can't activate abilities except for Planeswalker abilities.
1: Yeah, uh, or mana abilities, I think.
2: Well, yeah, 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 no. I mean, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I was not specific, but mana abilities are fine. They can still tap lands, but yeah. uh, they can't cycle cards. They can't, uh, you know, activate a walking ballista. Can't activate Heliod or Spike Feeder. Or yep. I mean, it just it does turn off a lot of stuff.
1: And then the next turn you grab. There's this other curse I forget, but it's all creatures get minus one minus one. So between those two, uh, two curses, yeah, hold. so essentially between those two curses, your opponent's locked out. Uh, so I was yeah. curious about that. You know, we cut that pretty quickly. <laughs> Thankfully, Zach was a, like a rune. No, after, you know, we... After it was just as useless as we had feared it was. Although we did get to hard cast it one time to beat Pi on Belcher because we had two Talisman of Dominance to get the white white to you. So that was pretty hilarious. Yes, yes
2: you did. That uh, was
1: sweet. But that was, you know, not... That was worth that was worth the test, but I would not put that in my deck again. Mm. Uh, but then the, the Curses list also played a Black Predation and... uh uh, Sheep, Cheap shout out a huge shout out to Reaple Cheap who actually helped me on the he gave me the original Kid and Listen Legacy that kind of put me down this rabbit hole in modern. Uh, so huge shout outs to him. But he was saying that he plays Black Predation Curses and he loves it, so I was okay, why not? But in Lino, you know, Legacy is also a little bit more busted, so and his deck is more busted too. Uh, but Hagger Mulling was great, and then now I've got three Worm Coil Engines. You know, Zach kind of suggested these. This deck turned out to be very much a Karn deck where like you, you want to. A, there's not much life gain, but then B, you know, like, you want to make sure Karn, if you can protect Karn, you're going to win, you know, the, the late game you have is nuts. Uh, and Wormcoil Engine is amazing at gaining life and protecting Karn, and, you know, just being a huge pain in the ass and surviving longer. And then I've got a Karn Liberated, uh, you know, just because sometimes you want to turn three Tron into Karn because it feels good. Uh, got Ugin, uh, Ugin was in the original, Ugin has been really great for me, like, uh, you know, with all these a lot of these can be one of because you have Wishlaw Talisman as a tutor. It's been sweet because, you know, you can even just activate Wishlaw, grab Ugin, cast Ugin, minus two him, and it'll exile the it'll exile the Wishlaw in addition to your opponent's board, which is pretty sweet. Uh, and then I've got one Walking Ballista, then the one Diabolic Revelation I mentioned, which is the 5x Demonic Tutor. And then, this is like the sweetest card, honestly. I was... Emma was running four of these in her original deck, and I was definitely a little confused, but I totally understand why, because this was the win condition in like most of our games. It was either Find Ulamog, Cast Ulamog, or it was Torment of Hailfire. Uh, so this, this reads yeah. X Black Black Sorcery. It's got some pretty badass art of Nicole Bolas on it. And it says, repeat the following process X times. Each, play, each opponent loses three life unless that player sacrifices a non-land permanent or discards a card. And so what this kind of winds up being is, you know, essentially it's your, you take your opponent's life total, you divide it by three, and then you add their non-land permanents plus cards in hand. And if you can make X equal that, you win the game. And this was, you know, a lot of times we would win by the skin of our teeth by barely surviving at one life to, like, their swing. And then, okay, our only out is to Wishclaw, Talisman, Torment of Hailfire, make X, you know, like, 12, and hope that's going to get there. And most of the time it gets there. And then I might yeah, win. and even,
2: even when it doesn't, I mean, it's sometimes just uh, good enough to, like, you didn't kill them, but they went down to zero cards in hand. They had to sacrifice a bunch of permanents. So it, it really, it's pretty good, and it's great to have an end game that doesn't involve... Um, playing on the board so yeah. and we never we never really ran into a problem with like having to try to get it through a bunch of field of the dead zombies or anything like that so
0: yeah um, i watched you stream in this one and it looked pretty sweet not gonna lie it definitely looked <laughs> a little bit more sweet i i mean i really enjoy getting a turn three blade steel colossus and and hitting them for you know 11 in fact but uh torment of hellfire is just that's like chef's kiss level of awesome. It's nuggets. so spicy. It's, it's
1: beautiful. It's wonderful, so cool. And nobody's uh, expecting it. Wonderful idea by Emma. You know, just like, there's so many times playing this. Like we had my opponent, like you cast your spell, your opponent spends 40 minutes, 40 seconds tanking. Just like, what is happening? You know, like they'll see, they'll see turn one expedition map and like, you know, turn one tower expedition map. And, you know, they're probably on the other side. They're probably like, oh shit, not again. Then you go turn two, just like land into wish. You go turn two uh, one, one moment.
2: All right. But I, I, I like uh, one one of the cool things about this deck too is um uh, most of the great black spells in modern or the most playable black spells in modern are, are, are one CMC. And then, uh, so sometimes on the most mediocre mediocre hands, you'll play one of your uh, MDFCs as a tap land on turn one, but then on turn two you can kind of recover your tempo by going land Talisman of Dominance, play a one CMC black spell. So, like the talismans are good in here. It's 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 a it's a really interesting uh, tweak on a Tron deck that I think um, is circumventing a lot of the weaknesses of Etron, which is not doing so hot right now and um and this is like a really cool cool way to to take that in a different direction I would want to try even more maze mine tomes I think I was playing zero at the time and uh I would be interested in trying trying the deck again with um with more maze mine tomes I don't know about the three worm coil engines but i I would want to try more maze, maze mine tomes
0: yeah worm coil engine was one of those cards that felt really awkward in the red list um the reason I, I think it's just it's the Matter Reshaper of Greentron,
2: right? And if it's the Matter Reshaper of Greentron, like it's the thing that like your opponent puts together their plan and then they slam worm Coil Engine. And most of the time you're like, oh, thank God. Yeah. It's worm Coil Engine. It's
0: not Karn Liberated. Yep. Well, you know, so I actually had included it not as a Tron payoff, but as uh, an Entomb target for the Goblin Engineer. Um, I was thinking it's actually both a great thing to sacrifice with Goblin Engineer because it produces the tokens uh, and a great thing to bring back with Trash for Treasure. Um, and I managed to do that once with the Red List. But I think that if you're going to play to that sort of uh, side of things, you just need to lean into it harder. Um, you know, this is where like the Arcbound Ravager makes a lot of sense because you can sack the, the Worm Coil to it or whatever in response to removal or, or any other number of things. Um, but I feel like you need to be utilizing it for more than just like a 6-6 beater, Uh, granted death touch and lifelink are pretty good, but you're right. It's like, you see it slammed against you and you're like, oh man, that could have been so much worse. Like when a, when a 6-6 lifelink death touch, isn't that scary? Uh, you know, modern's in a powerful place. (laughs) Well, it's just, it's just that,
2: like, there's just so much better things in most matchups that you can be doing. You well, know? Sometimes it is the right card, just like Mattery Shaper. Sometimes it is the right card. Sure, but sure. It's, it's, by and large, the worst sort of threat that you have, yep. the worst payoff. The It's it's just mediocre. So I, I don't know if I really would feel like I'd be happy about playing um, three of them. So I, I would definitely maybe try this again with more Monet's Mind Tomes yeah. if we want to do some iterating on it
0: well uh the other thing with it is that with so much white being played you're almost certainly going to be staring across from you know a path to exile and you know it gets significantly worse when it turns into just a straight one for one instead of getting those tokens out of it too
2: Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely
1: so actually the first draft of this i streamed through the faithless brewing discord which was so much fun we had a fair amount of viewers Zack was my co-pilot which was great because you know I just put this list together from you know I just modified Emma's list and everything was very theoretical and there were a lot of weird lines you know like when you play Wishlaw Talisman and you can tutor for any card and you know you need to complete Tron but also you need to have the right payoff and all these other you know things to consider and you know Force of Despair just very non-intuitive deck. So I was, I was pretty clear. Thank goodness you were, you were here co-piloting with me. That was. I nice. don't
2: know why I was so decent at it because when I played it on my own on stream, I made a bunch of ludicrous yeah, no, plays, I, uh, it, like uh, wishing hurts. for tamping sphere. <laughs> <laughs> like I
1: was, I was watching your replay on Twitch. and I was just like I, I, felt physical pain watching you punt so many times. Like, it was just. It was uh, so
2: awkward. I oh my god! I couldn't
1: even like yell at you because it was a replay. I couldn't be like, <laughs> what are you doing? It was like, oh my. Oh, I can't. You know, I my heart, uh, my heart yeah, can only take so yeah. much.
2: Yeah, there was some, some very very goofy moments. I had a great time. I had a great time punting.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, and it's a. It's a sweet deck, and I definitely, I might put this down for a little bit only because, you know, I'm probably going to put, I'm probably going to play a little bit less modern now just because. Right, well, I mean, we've
2: also got uh, the sort of uh, holiday season uh, onslaught coming at us, so, uh, you know, I'm thinking a lot of people are going to be playing less than usual. Some people are going to be playing a lot more than usual, (laughs) so we'll certainly see. Um, Yeah exactly exactly so uh but monoblactron definitely somewhere to explore definitely uh had a lot of fun playing it Mm -hmm. uh it is a sweet deck it is very viable we have like um some pretty significant differences between our versions but the the next one that i would want to be playing is the one that you uh have in the show notes here so um anyone who's interested in trying it out check out uh arun's version which is on mtg goldfish listed as monoblactron inspired by emma and it's, uh, it's a banger.
1: Uh, so b- before we kind of leave this, I do want to say mm. that Force of Despair was like, you know, it's surprisingly you, good. It, it did have the problem. The biggest problem with Force of Despair was that they can't deal with cards that are already on the battlefield, which was mm. actually mm. A huge. But, you know, like just being able to go turn one Reclaimer on the play and you can Force of Despair and not worry about it. That feels great. The other thing is, I had three matches, or I had three games actually, where I managed to tag two cards with Force of Despair. Uh, and honestly, I won those matches. Like, it was, there, there's, I think it was, there's a red black prowess deck that, you know, I think they turn one Thought Sees something, and then they had a pretty nuts nice start, and their turn three was uh, Shadow into Scourge. And, you know, it's just like, well, we before, we do the Force of Despair after they Thought Sees, so it's like Force of Despair, pitch, I think I pitched them, uh, thought distortion which you know not going to be good in that matchup and then boom it's just huge tempo swing it was nuts and you know then we crushed that game and like the ceiling the ceiling for force of despair in certain matchups can, can just be insane you know it all it also beats oops all spells which which i also think is really hilarious and the last thing i want to say on this is i think one of my favorite parts about tron is you know all, all the good stuff is full art like the the tron the honestly i love the double masters uh, full Artron lands, I think those are beautiful. You know, like Ugin, Karn, Wormcoil; those are all Full Art. Like it's, it just you know, I'm, it's just beautiful. I've really enjoyed uh, renting <laughs> with my uh, renting with my loan account from Card Hoarder. You know, I just if, since it was relatively budget, I could actually afford to, and I already had the Karns, which made the rest of the deck almost nothing. Uh, I rented the very nice Full Arts from uh, Double Masters, and they are sweet. I love it.
2: I enjoy the antiquities, classic mismatched arts. I love them so much. I just need Get to play those, more Tron decks so I don't movies.
0: fetch the wrong ones, <laughs> because I do that. They are very iconic. I remember playing with them as a kid, and uh, I I I did end up just ponying up for some of the full art ones, the panorama ones, recently with the double masters. But the uh, yeah the the OG ones, they're they're good. They're iconic. All right. Um, so I actually picked up yet another budget brew. I, on a whim, I had a, um, a song of creation brew that I had been playing and and put down a couple months ago. Um, and I thought it might actually translate into a budget list pretty well. Um, you know, a lot of the stuff in it was already pretty budget. Uh, the general idea of the deck is to play a Kinnon into an early Song of Creation, play a high density of X casting cost uh, artifact creatures and 0 and 1 CMC artifacts, um, preferably ones that can self-sacrifice. Then using those cheap spells you churn through your deck, you look for Mox Ambers, which you cast and float mana from um, with Kinnon out, and eventually you hit your Wincon, which is Mirrodin Besieged, which is a three-mana enchantment from Modern Horizons. It has two modes, Phyrexian and Mirren. Uh, The Phyrexian mode is the one that you're interested in. If you have 15 artifacts in your graveyard at the end step, target player loses the game. Um, And so my idea was that you just kind of churn through with all of these free spells, basically. You turn your your X cost creatures into free spells. You churn through your deck, they go to the graveyard you land your Mer- Mirrodin Besieged, and then uh, whether you're holding a grip full of artifacts or you've already got enough in the graveyard, you know you move to end step. Um, uh-oh, I lost, uh, lost a rune there for a second. Um, you move to end step, yeah, you yeah. Uh, discard your hand to Song of Creation, and then you win because you have your 15 grave- uh, artifacts in the graveyard with Mirrodin Besieged. Um <laughs> And it, it actually played out pretty well in the non budget version. Um, I think I had a couple two threes and three twos. Uh the deck still needed a little bit of tuning, but it was pretty fun, and I, I think that like one of the things I had noticed about it is it really doesn't whiff once you get going. So having played a bunch of different song shells and trying different things with song, you know, sometimes you would whiff. This one didn't have that problem because so many of the the spells ended up being free. Um,
1: yeah, so that's was,
0: the non budget version.
1: I was going to say, like, the one I love this idea, and you know, I think we uh, and Besiege is hilarious, and you know, equal steps, insanity, and ge- equal parts, insanity, and genius, and hilarious. Uh, the, I was, so, the reason that you didn't fizzle, you just have so many free creatures, right? Because when yep. I've been messing with the, the song and the cannon shells, you, w- you do actually wind up fizzling a fair amount of the time, unfortunately. Yeah. But, you know, all your stuff is free
0: basically yep everything is either free or cheap um i think you know there were a couple times where you'd land in a situation where you're like ah crap i have nothing to cast but like this um uh, spring leaf drum and then once i do that unless i draw just the right stuff like i might i might get hosed but you know it was playing 12 of the x cost creatures it's playing four mishra's Bobble. So you're at a pretty high density. I think there's like 20 or 24 spells that can effectively be free in the deck. Um, You're playing the four Mox Ambers. So it it really didn't struggle to chain through the entire deck. and then in the face of Graveyard Hate, you have the option of just casting all of the like stone coil Serpents, hangar, back Walkers, Walking Ballistas, and you can play the Mirrodin Besieged on Mirin mode and you get 1-1 one, one, uh, servos, I believe, when you cast an artifact. So mm-hmm. you have this like mid-range value plan as a backup plan if you get hated out of the graveyard. Um, mm. So that's, that's the non-budget version. To budgetize it, I ended up having to cut the Mishra's Bobbles. Uh, I made the mana base a painful mana base, playing actual pain lands, and um, that turned out to be a way bigger hit than I expected. So I was able to continue playing the X casting cost creatures, even though the walking ballistas are a little bit pricey online, um, but losing Mishra's Bobble was a surprisingly big hit. You, know, you really want to have uh, a high velocity through your deck with this. And so, you know, if you don't draw just the right cards, that Mishra's Bobble can, you know, draw you an extra card or maybe you get two extra cards right before your combo turn. And that is super important. Or if you, you know, let's say you play out your hand, you have your Song of Creation down and you need to draw into some cards so that you have something to cast the next turn and go off. That's where the Mishra's Bobbles are like super handy um so losing those was actually a huge hit and the painful mana base was brutal i lost to burn i lost to prowess like everything was just coming at me red decks everywhere um and so really i just wanted to kind of just briefly touch on you know budgetizing decks is actually incredibly difficult you know i i didn't think that losing the four Mishra's Bobbles was going to make that big of an impact. I didn't think that moving to this pain mana base was actually going to make that big of an impact, but it turns out it was It was actually a pretty big impact. And I don't know that this deck is playable without the fetches, without the bobbles. Um, you know, there's a lot of interactions there. As any bobble player knows, you know, bobbling yourself bef- before fetching to determine if you want to clear the top card of your library or not is a thing. Um, and Yeah, I I think that it's just kind of important to illustrate that not all budget brews are going to work out, and it may not be for the reasons that you think. Um, You know, things that seem like they could be budgetized pretty easily may turn out to actually just be poor contenders. And uh, if you're brewing on a budget, you know, I think that it's worth um, just keeping that in mind and not being afraid to fail. And if you do fail, uh, you know, Keep looking. There's there's other decks out there. There's other brews, and not everything can be easily turned into a budget brew. There you go.
1: Yeah, I think that's really well said. You know, I think it's good that you you mentioned that point because sometimes we forget that. uh yeah, like if you win, uh, you will fail when you budgetize some brews, like you know, like some of your like the one that you were just talking about, for instance. And you know that's okay, and you know it's worth it's worth testing to learn and just to see you know what happens if we try and do this. But yeah, there you know there's a, there will be a fairly high failure rate when trying to budgetize brews, which is you know just the way that you know unfortunately magic works sometimes.
2: Mm-hmm. It's falling below the uh, benchmark of competitive viability. Yep. Yep.
1: <laughs> but you know you can still run it through a league, and maybe you'll even three. Hey, two- yeah, listen, yeah?
2: listen, listen. I have three two with some terrible garbage piles, so.
0: Alright, well let's uh, take a quick break and when we come back, we'll get into our main topic for this week, uh, Project Painter. Alright, welcome back. So this week we are talking about Painter's Servant. Painter's Servant is a two-mana artifact creature scarecrow. As Painter's Servant enters the battlefield, you choose a color. All cards that aren't on the battlefield, spells, and permanents are the chosen color in addition to their other colors. So this is a super unique effect. Um, it was printed first in Shadowmoor, uh, which was released May 2nd of 2008, and was reprinted as a Kaladesh invention, but has otherwise seen no reprints. Um, Painter mostly sees legacy play due to the combo with Grindstone. Grindstone is a 1-mana artifact that reads uh, pay 3 mana and tap it, target player mills 2 cards. If 2 cards share a color, were milled this way, repeat the process. So the combo here is that once a Painter is down, all cards milled with the Grindstone will be the same color, the effect will chain, and you will mill your opponent out on a single turn. Uh, the bulk of the painter decks that I was looking at seemed to be either monocolored or two-colored. With is it being a popular choice, um, and in spite of being a pretty powerful A plus B combo, painter doesn't see a ton of play. Uh, likely because Legacy is such a high fa- uh, high-powered format that there are a lot more degenerate things that you could be doing. Um, Zach and Arun, I know you both have a lot more Legacy experience than me. Do you have any uh, thoughts on Legacy painter?
1: Yeah, I want to mention, first of all, I do got to mention that this whole idea for Painter, we were talking about in the Discord, and then uh, the one and only wonderful human Cave Dan uh, kind of mentioned like, oh, what about, you know, like focusing more on Painter? And it's like, yeah, that, it, that was a really great suggestion, you know, it was something we've been thinking about and talking about, like, yeah, this works really well. So shout out to Cave Dan, the one and only, uh, for giving us this inspiration. And yeah, I mean, Painter is really interesting. The big, in Legacy... I actually used to play Legacy like between 2010 and 2012 was when I was super big into it. And during that time, there's this one kind of quote-unquote fable deck that was uh, uh, it was Imperial Painter. So it was a blue-red painter deck that ran Trinket Mage to grab Grindstone. It also played Painter and I think it even had Sensei's Divining Top. I don't know if Top was banned by then, but there were versions where you could Trinket for Sensei's Divining Top and do some sort of fun things. This was back when uh, Imperial Recruiter, two in a red for a 1-1 one, one search library for creature with toughness one or, or with power one or less and put it into your hand. This was that card had only been printed in Portal Street Kingdoms. It had not yet been reprinted in some of the supplemental sets. So Imperial Painter itself was like a hundred plus dollar magic card, which made this. And this was well before. Like this had been dual lands were only like 30 to 40. So this is, you know, like when... When I think this deck was best positioned, which is you know back then before all the super generacy in Legacy now, uh, when it had the best positioning, it wasn't actually didn't actually do super well uh, because I don't think it was played very much. But I do remember me and my one friend who hadn't played—he was a wonderful Magic player and had played Legacy or like for a long time. Uh, he borrowed this deck from one of his friends and he actually top at the tournament with it uh, after not being in Legacy, you know, already playing much Magic for a while. Uh, he's a great player, but just kind of shows the strength of the deck. And, yeah, they will, so just kind of quickly say, I think the big difference between this and Modern Legacy is the payoffs. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I think Zach, you and Zach will talk about that more, but, you know, two-card combos are good. Two-card combos where both components are very tutorable are extra good, where, you know, Grindstone and... Uh, painter are both pretty tutorable and then you know in legacy if you're in red you call everything blue and now all your red elemental blast and your blue and your pyro your hydra your pyroblast they just you know destroy anything like even lands yep. which is kind of nuts and i'm a big
2: fan of having and green in the deck so you can veil of summer literally everything because i'm a bad yep. person uh-huh. um, but uh but uh it is it's spectacular. So uh, I was watching Jarvis U the other day play an updated version of Teamer Painter. And um, um, is basically no bad cards painter and is playing uh, basically just Ice Fan, and Painters, and then lots and lots of Blasts and Veil of Summers and Force of Wills and things like that, along with the grindstone combo to kill your opponent. Because the version that I have streamed on my channel was much more artifact focused now i i had an absolute blast playing it because you get to play goblin welder goblin engineer emery lurker of the lock and um just play all sorts of really really cool um uh interplay in and out of your graveyard goblin welder is an amazing magic card that uh and and modern horizons 2 when um i I don't actually mean that because i think goblin welder would be way too good for um for modern but um that version is super, super sweet. Maybe we'll get grindstone. Yeah, maybe we'll get grindstone. Maybe we'll, they'll maybe they'll print Art, Arkham's Astrolabe in Modern Horizon 2 and just unban it. That would be sweet. Um, but, uh, no. I don't I, know. I, I want to, I know. but
1: I, I also don't I want to. I know.
2: Well, I, I want them to. And I have no reservations uh, about that. But, anyway. Uh, so, that that's the payoffs you get in uh, Modern, which is... Or in uh, Legacy, which are, you know, obviously very, 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 very good. Uh, but so what, what do we get in Modern instead? So, you know, um, the reason that I got onto this deck, and I'm not, um, I, I don't know why Cave Dan was suggesting it to us, um, but uh, Brian's got uh, some thoughts about how we could exploit this, and then I have something that was brought to my attention.
0: Yeah, uh, just uh, briefly before we we go on to the the payoffs that I found, I did want to point out that um, Painter has seen a little bit of modern play. Uh, I only found seven lists on MTG Goldfish dating all the way back to 2010. Um, the last one I saw was uh, Melira Pod back in 2016. And so, I don't know, Jiggy, you, you played a lot of that deck, right? Were you running Painter? It looked like it was used to make everything green so you could tutor uh, creatures with Green Sun Zenith.
1: Yeah, I don't. I was playing Melirapod, Pod, but this was like back in 2013, 2012. Okay. Oh, so this is well before 2016. My under- I thought that GSZ has been banned since the beginning. No, it was um, definitely
2: legal for a while. I'm I'm fairly certain. Really, Because wow. I think people were GSDing for uh, for Dryad Arbor in Modern. Okay, no, it, it it did exist in Modern at the beginning because, um, uh, here we have a listing from uh, twenty eleven, uh, September Modern ban list: Blazing Shoal, Cloudpost, Green Sun Zenith, Ponder, Preordain, and Rite yep. of Flame. So, um, this was the yep, this yep. was the bnr announcement that at the time made me think that modern was a joke of a format that they basically didn't do any research on before they released it uh, much like i think some people felt like uh, about the first few months of pioneer um and it was because they had to ban ponder and preordain from the turbo xerox decks in modern i was just like what kind of format oh. did you guys create where you had to ban ponder and preordain like what what were you thinking um but uh but you know I, I do love modern now i just at the time i hadn't really played it at all um i remember uh, a lot of the decks were, were kind of expensive they weren't legacy expensive they were more expensive than standard decks i was playing at the time and it was just like what what are you doing um and then check this out in december of the same year by the way punishing fire and wild the cattle were banned
1: yeah punishing fire was fair you know punishing john was that's yeah. right shaman was actually i hated that sure deck. sure you know, well, stupid and stupid uh, punishing fires.
0: So I'm I'm looking at another list from uh, 2011 here, and it was running GSC, um, but I don't know that the painter was actually there for the GSC. It seems to be here for an Iona Shield of America. Oh, uh, yes. Uh,
1: oh, that makes yeah. okay. That makes more sense
0: yeah uh super sweet so um iona is a nine mana it's six and three white for a flying legendary creature angel as iona shield of ameria enters the battlefield choose a color your opponents can't cast spells of the chosen color so you name green presumably you slam your iona and then good luck opponent
1: uh that seems sweet this is interesting i don't think any of us had actually considered this as a payoff in London. i, I, I certainly considered my it but
2: i haven't put together any even uh exploratory idea in had into how to build it so i feel like a rune, maybe this is kinon
1: yeah baby. well kinon we're gonna so flip Iona. Kinnan,
2: yeah you could flip iona into playoff okay, so this is the maybe perhaps the fabled kinon activation deck um, also, if you're, yeah, if you're activating Kinnan, that costs seven mana, which means you're really only two off of actually casting uh, Iona, which is mm-hmm. certainly something mm-hmm. those decks have been able to put together enough mana to do. Um, <laughs> but the thing that you want to remember about Iona is that Iona does not have any kind of weird clause that prevents it from being reanimated. Uh, I'm not saying that you necessarily want to do that. I'm just saying um, Gifts Ungiven, the, um, the blue-white Tron... Gifts deck that existed for a long time, which I, I think is an offshoot of Solar Flare, or there was some weird name for it. Um, but the Blue-White Tron Gifts Ungiven deck would often play an end game uh, that would involve wishing for or Gifts Ungivening for uh, Unburial Rites, Iona, and two yep. other Super Haymaker
0: cards. And no matter what, they they, they would get severely punished by this. Brian? Uh, so one of the other fun things about painter is that if you name white uh with a Kinnon out Kinnon is now white and your mox ambers will now produce white mm. um and so now you have two oh. of your three white pips covered
1: by a mox amber yeah um, that is that is interesting i mean my one the one thing that i I'd also do not do wanna i think here is like you should talk about hibernation real quick because i do you know i think painter has not seen modern play because modern does not have the payoffs that legacy does but I actually think that Zach's uh, Zach's information that hibernation exists and hibernation, like I do think hibernation is the best painter. So uh,
2: I, I am lucky enough uh, by very random happenstance to have a, a, a passing internet association with uh, Legacy Pro. Uh, I say pro loosely, but he's definitely a staple of the Legacy scene. Chase Stryfo Hansen, and for whatever reason he occasionally comes up with just amazing decks. He's actually a great legacy brewer. um, But in this case, he came up with a modern brew and he shared it with me because he, he's not really a a big modern player. And he thought uh, maybe I could put it together and figure out a good, good way to uh, exploit it. So what was the deck list he came out with? Um, So very much, um, Influenced by Eternal Command at first. This deck was playing Eternal Witness and Cryptic Command. But the Painter combo is Painter Servant and Hibernation. Hibernation is an instant. Uh, it was, it's uh, in the format from 8th edition. And you can tell why as soon Ooh. as you read it. Uh, because the text is uh, uh. two in a blue instant. Return all green permanents to their owner's hand. So with uh, Painter Servant in play, this becomes two in a blue instant speed upheaval if you turn the whole world green. Um, which is pretty powerful. um, And there's a bunch of different ways you can exploit that that I'll get into. Additionally, the deck that he gave me had a combo with the card Woodland Bellower. So it's uh, four green green for a six five beast and uh when it enters the battlefield you search your library for a non-legendary green creature converted mana cost three or less and put it onto the battlefield now if you've turned your whole deck green you can get any card that's non-legendary and cost three or less so you can get glass pool mimic which um also gets to hide in your land base from time to time and be helpful in that way but you can get four glass pool mimics so now you've got 30 power on the battlefield and then you can get a hellraiser goblin or i'm sure there's other cards you could use at this point um, to give your whole board haste and attack immediately hopefully for lethal so you've got a combo kill in your deck as well as this upheaval plan and then around that i just arranged the uh overall powerful mana engine of arbor elf and utopia sprawl um the the first mildly successful version i had had two cmc um had um sylvan Cariotid, but i uh, quickly realized that since we were playing court of calling in the deck we should be playing wall of uh roots wall of roots is fantastic with court of calling because it gets to uh, count as two mana which is really important um, when you have to cord for nine in theory uh x equals six so you have to get up to nine mana to do that to uh, get the woodland bellower um i have shopped this around to a couple different people cave dan had the suggestion of adding fierce empath and karn the great creator which didn't work out the first time i played it but maybe it's the best direction to take this list so so this is the reason we're really here today, in my opinion, is uh, is is this list that got shared to me and iterated in a couple of different ways, um, and I think it's got a lot of potential. Just figuring out those flex slots is very difficult, as uh, Arun well knows, uh, when he was tinkering with blue green, Carnareo uh, and th- or uh, Areo without Carn at the time. Uh, and just having the the miracle stroke to add the Karn to that deck, uh, I didn't find the Karn added everything I needed to this deck so far. But maybe it was just a little bit of variance, and I'd love to uh, hear more feedback from from you two and and whoever whoever takes this out for a spin
1: in any way, shape, or form. Um, yeah, so I'm I'm gonna mention you know <laughs> once again. Don't threaten me with a good time adding Kinnan uh, to deck adding Kinnan Mox Amber. Well, to decks.
2: yes, uh, that so, was this. So that was the version I came up with. Um, that was my own spin on this deck uh, because I thought the Woodland Bellower combo was good, but it was very clunky and it was hard to get it to come together. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of mana, um, and I I just love the card Upheaval. It's so much fun and an instant speed Upheaval for three mana, three mana. Um, yeah, I mean, it,
1: as a as a payoff. Yeah, it's great.
2: It's, it's really cool. Um, the the key is that you need in in these decks uh, as constructed so far you need to um, really come out swinging after the upheaval because you can't guarantee that you're going to be able to upheaval on your turn with like four to six mana floating. Um, in cube, you will often play upheaval in sort of slow control decks, and then your, your plan will be upheaval and then cast something afterwards that's just unbeatable on an empty board. Um, we, we don't really have that option, plus the modern format, is very fast right now. So um, I came up with a Kinnan Urza uh, mana shell, and I think it works very well. It's able to set up again after upheaval very quickly. Um, with the Moxes the and the Cannons, if you can float one or two mana, you could vomit out most of your hand immediately. So yep. um, you, you tap all of your stuff for mana. Hopefully you still have a land drop. Hopefully you have the flex room to do that. You bounce everything, and then with your remaining mana, um, you vomit your hand back out, which can involve, like, if you have two mana, you play a Cannon for free, and then you could play a Springleaf Drum and a Mox, and then all of a sudden you have four mana and then you can play the rest of your hand. So um, that was the idea I had. It's been mildly successful, seems like a reasonable Chalice of the Void deck, but I have a non-chalice version to try out as well that has Gilded Geese.
0: Brian. Uh, So I I think that um, this illustrates, there's kind of two major paths and it seems like we're focusing on the first, which is that we want to exploit a particular color, with painter, so like naming green uh, in this case for the the upheaval effect, um, but we could also lean into that, like you said, with veil of summer or Aethergust. gust. Um, you know, aether gust can now bounce a land, which is huge. Um, maybe we could lean into that side of things, playing some primal commands as well. If we're gonna have the mana to do it, being able to put a land on top of their deck every turn, that sort of thing, um, just keep them off their mana. Um, but the other avenue to pursue here is by naming a color that is not in their deck and making all of their cards multicolored. So there are a number of decent multicolored payoffs here. Um, cards like Stonecoil Serpent is uh, protection for multicolored. Um, Glass of the Guild Pact is a two-mana artifact that gives all of your um, multicolored cards plus one, or multicolored creatures plus one plus one. And there's also multicolored hosers out there that will exile, counter, or kill multicolored permanents. So um, you know that's another avenue to to sort of look into. I think instead of just trying to lean on this one interaction with green, you know, unless they're already playing a, a green deck, naming green is also probably going to make a bunch of their cards multicolor. And so that kind of opens up your space for hosers and other things like that.
1: Yeah, I the Shatter Assumptions, I think this is a really innovative, very cool uh, route to go down. Also, I think, uh, like you mentioned, the... Uh, Stone Crawl Serpent, I think, is probably also one of the amazing payoffs for these shells uh, just because pro-multi, pro-everything, essentially, is like really, really powerful. And then then your painter is kind of functioning as a, a step, as a, not mother of runes, the giver of runes, uh, which is also, you know, kind of interesting. But yeah, that strategy then also, you know, if you've got one black black for uh, shatters, like what else, what are you doing? What's the fail state for shattered assumptions? Like what are you, what are you doing if you don't have a painter on the board?
0: Oh, sure, sure. So just uh, uh, quickly, Shatter Assumptions is one black black for Sorcery out of Modern Horizons. Uh, it reads, choose one, target opponent reveals their hand and discards all colorless non-land cards, or target opponent reveals their hand and discards all multicolored cards. Um, so if you're trying to build around Shatter Assumptions in particular, um, I think that you're going to be in a bad spot. You're right. Like the fail case is not great. Um, if we saw a lot more um, Niv to Light or that kind of deck, it might make sense. Uh, honestly, it's probably decent against the Uro piles, right? If you get them to discard an Uro and an Omnath and some other yeah, crap, Four-Color Money Pile be... must get
2: sacked by that a lot of the time. Like, that, they have to counter it. I mean, I can't imagine them being willing to take that on turn three if you're on the play, so...
0: Yeah, and I imagine that if you're really going heavy on the Shatter Assumptions plan, you're playing a bunch of other discard. This is almost like a an eight-rack deck in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But but you know that's not the only payoff. So the the other um, multicolor hosers, there's at least one that's counter-target multicolor spell for one and a blue. So counter spell I hear is uh, pretty decent, and turning you know all of all of your uh, all of their cards multicolor gives you access to effectively counter spell um yeah aether gust in the but, blue list is very good like that because you can also get lands yep.
2: now which is pretty mm-hmm. pretty sneaky uh the thing you do have to be cognizant of is both with hibernation and aether gust if your opponent has open mana you can get blown out uh if they kill your kill your painter in response to your spell but i mean yep. obviously that's it yep. and um i mean shatter assumptions to me is just like a lower upside of the the hibernation but it's certainly
0: an interesting idea Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not married to that Mm -hmm. in particular. I think that it's just to illustrate that, you know, uh, multicolor is something that we should be considering. And, and, you know, as Arun pointed out, the really hard part here is that you need your cards to be playable if Painter isn't out because, you know, it's only a four of, um, if we're in blue, we can play things like were, um, and, and we can, you know, find other tutor effects, but, uh we really need to make sure that our floor isn't so low that you know we're dead in the water just because we're playing a bunch of bad cards that get okay when painter is out
2: yeah and that, that was the, that was the trick to me about the uh, woodland bellower idea is uh is um Bellower is expensive and it's not as good as like basically Primeval Titan. So when you don't have a Painter and it's not an auto win, it's uh, it's medium, medium minus. I mean, you can get Eternal Witness um, and you can play some number of Eternal Witness in that deck. So that's that's pretty good. Uh, but you can't fetch Uro, which would be the best thing to get because it says non-legendary. So um, but, yeah, mm-hmm. so, yeah, what we're looking to do here is minimize the awfulness of uh, of our payoff cards. I think Stonecoil Serpent might be the one of the coolest ones that you guys have come up with here. But I like uh, Glass of the Guild Pack sounds neat, too. Yeah,
0: yeah. I actually, so for one of the um, Faithless Brewing uh, community leagues, one of the Brewer Round cards was Painter. And that was kind of the direction that I took things, was looking to exploit multicolored um and it it just so happened that one of the other uh brew around cards was one of the new ultimatums i think it was the abzan ultimatum um which will i believe that it tutors up three mono colored cards Mm -hmm. yes it does and so i was playing painter and i would get my painter out and my opponent's just like well I can't tutor anything now. Like my deck just inadvertently completely hosed their build around because oh. none of their cards were monocolored <laughs> That's anymore. Sweet. That's um, sweet. amazing. But you know, the thing that really stuck out to me was I had been playing with the stone coil serpent and even like a two, two or a three, three stone coil serpent can get it there because you just can't remove it. Like, you know, there's not really any good colorless removal And so, by naming any, like if you name green, none of the major removal spells are going to hit it. Um, Maybe if they have like a a nature's claim or something, you know. But who's playing a lot of artifact removal right now?
1: Yep. Yeah, I I love the Stone Coiled Serpent angle. I, you know, I think Stone Coiled Serpent's a super powerful card in general. Yeah, absolutely. Especially if you make it pro your opponent's deck, you know, like that's. You know, now now the goal is just you have to protect the Painter, which is probably going to be a little harder. But, you know, Stone Coiled Serpent does actually slot well into these, like, Emery Kinnon decks where you just have a bunch of mana. It's like Coiled Serpent for six can be recast by Emery two. You know, this mm-hmm. maybe working towards a critical mass of uh, payoffs, hopefully.
0: Well, and I actually am less concerned uh, protecting the Painter because we can do things like play a Welding Jar or... Um, you know, we can play any amount of counter magic Ooh, because it's a Kinan shell. Um, and well and welding jar plays really well with Emery. So I, I think that there's some avenues there. Um, but there's also other neat uh, multicolor payoffs, cards like Esper Stormblade, um, and there's a, a, a whole slew of these for the various shards that pay you off for having other multicolor permanents. So, in the case of Esper Stormblade, I believe it's a 2 1 for 2. If you have another multicolor permanent, it gets flying and uh, plus 1 plus 1. Um, and so, you can end up with some of these uh, sort of evasive, cheap threats that get a little bit better for having other multicolor permanents. Um, and then you kind of you know maybe you slam a glass of the guild pack down, and now you have like a fast aggro deck that is benefiting from multicolor stuff.
1: Yeah, that that's an interesting uh, an interesting way to go. I've actually I've thought about similar things like you know the two mana for a three two flyer. It's okay. It's it's a decent rate, but you know like how what what else would be in the shell other than that? You know like how else? What other payoffs would you be and What would be like how how would you build out that shell further, Brian? <laughs>
0: Yeah, so I think that um, I would probably be trying to lean into some of the um, the hosers for multicolored, maybe, uh, just on the assumption that like your opponent's removal is all going to be multicolored if you if you do your painters right, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not entirely clear. It's actually been difficult to do the Scryfall search. I put together a search that I thought would be pretty comprehensive. Um, And it was like a combination of like any of the color words and permanent, any of the color words and spell. And I got what I thought was like a comprehensive list of of cards that would be either color hosers or um, multicolor hosers. But for some reason I noticed like Primal, uh, not Primal Command, um, um, Force of Vigor was not in the list nor was um, Force of Virtue. And I can't figure out why because looking at the the scryfall you know how it kind of tells you what the search will find Mm -hmm. both of those cards meet all of the conditions of the scryfall search but aren't showing up in the results and so I wonder what else is not being found um Anyway, they, they, I'm still kind of combing through uh, mm-hmm. potential cards there. I, there's a there's a lot there. Uh, yeah, the the uh, the awkward
2: thing for me is like when I go like search format modern search Oracle word red. Uh, it turns out the letters R E D show up in a lot of other mm-hmm. words, so yep. you get a yep. lot of excess cards that way. Um, and I, I don't I don't actually know if they have a way to fix that, but um, but uh, maybe space red space might work. Um, but maybe not, I'm not sure. Uh,
0: maybe using quotation marks. Well, I, used quote, uh, I I did to, use to quotation, quotation marks, it. which I, I, I wasn't getting anything uh, if I didn't. Um, I see. Huh. Um, I, uh, I noticed that as well. I was like, why is scred showing up in my list? Yeah. Scred doesn't meet any of these conditions. Oh, yeah, yeah. it has red yeah, exactly. and snow um,
1: permanent. The full
2: cycle of circle of protections is legal. In modern by the way yep um there Mm -hmm. is uh you know some of the some of the color hosers that get played already um celestial purge uh is pretty good Mm -hmm. if Mm -hmm. you want to name black and then you could play veil of summer as well um so you know this is one of the first times i really want to say to our listeners uh you know Hit us with any painter or Bruise, for sure. I mean, you're obviously always invited to hit us with Bruise, but this card has yeah. so, so many things you could do with it that are super cool. And, like, I'm just looking at Celestial Purge that's, that ended up right next to Chameleon Colossus. Chameleon Colossus is one of my favorite cards of all time. And Chameleon Colossus <laughs> is not that, even that good, but just having it giving it protection from everything because you make everything black and also playing Veil of Summer in the same deck um and playing court of calling. I mean, I I um I have the idea for Lana. a bant urian deck where we play four court of calling and uh, maybe even some other tutors like Eldomri's call because then we can t- cut down on the number of painters a little bit. And then mm-hmm. um and then fetch it out when we when we need specific uh either either to change the color of everything at instant speed or we can play a different balance of sort of payoffs versus um, Versus the Painters. So Painter might actually end up being like a really cool silver bullet card in a, in a list like that. Mm-hmm. Where you just pull it out from time to time to uh, win certain matchups. Because I, I personally think that uh, the upheaval um, part of the, um, of the Hibernation combo uh, is really good against some of the decks in Modern that you otherwise yeah. just wouldn't oh, yeah. be able to beat. Uh, a lot of the field decks and a lot of the um, Primeval Titan decks, um, other than Amulet Titan... They're not really able to vomit out their hand as quickly as you will be able to. So um, mm-hmm. having a three mana upheaval is, is a big deal.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm very excited, interested in pursuing the upheaval angle. You know, you know, I'm thinking maybe even something like Bant mm-hmm. uh You know, that's kind of very. It's got the Painters, It's got Stonecoil Serpent. Maybe something like just go kind of nuts. Four Goose, four Chromatic Star, mm-hmm. four Springleaf. You could drum, play of Invention uh, for, for am- the
2: painter instead of Court of Calling. Um, so then you're taking a totally different angle, but more artifacty.
1: Painter, painter is also a cannon hit. You know, you might just yeah. pay seven and flip your painter into yep. play. These go. are all options. I and I, I
0: really like being in blue because I think that Aethergust, Gust, you know, that is a very yep. main deckable card right now, and. Not, like we were just saying, you know, not having a really low floor on your color hosers is really important. And, you know, playing, I would not, I would not blink an eye to pay, uh, play a couple main deck, uh, Aether Gusts right now. And then, you know, you're going up against, uh, one of these maybe less common meta decks or something and you get your painter out and suddenly it's that much better. That, that sounds great. Yep. Uh, I would also be super interested in trying to figure out a way to get this um, Iona uh, into yeah, yep. into play somehow. Well, the Bant Cannon deck could one. fit
2: the Iona in there too. So that's, yeah, yeah, that's sure. your I mean, overlap was, deck
1: right there. Thinking, yeah, I was thinking Bant specifically for Iona. You know, like, there's not you know, maybe you want the Fairy Time Raveler probably. Uh, uh, I actually am like, pretty sure do. you do,
2: and one of the reasons that you want to ferry time ravler is just to stop yourself from getting hosed by removal on the painter. It's really, really helpful to feel more comfortable about that because then the upheaval uh, is is a much, much better... Much, much better line when you can be sure you're not going to get blown out horribly. Uh, Additionally, you get to play one of the best removal spells in the game, which is uh, Path to Exile. In a deck, where ramping your opponent. If you're playing four hibernations in your deck, if your intention is to upheaval every game, giving them more lands is not a problem if they can't play them out. Because one of the uh, other bits of the play pattern that will happen is, once you upheaval, you pass the turn to your opponent, and they're only able to go land usually one spell, and then they have a fistful of cards, they have to discard them. Um, another thing that could be really good, by the way, is um, getting Painter to play at instant speed uh, via something like Aether Vial. Which is, um, if we make a Bant Urion deck, um, I like the yep. way that Urion and Aether Vial play together, um, and there's no reason that can't also be a Were or a Court of Calling deck. But I just just wanted to point that out. That like one of the, one of the ideas I had that's really helpful here is being able to put in Painter at instant speed
0: yeah uh and i mean it's not instant speed but you could also be playing something like reshape if you're looking for a a high density of tutors there um that one requires you to sacrifice an artifact but you know it's uh it's a mana cheaper and it's sorcery speed yeah yeah but uh with time raveler you could go instant
2: yep there you go so um definitely a lot of ways to play um, like four of hibernation and one of painter, or four and four, or things like that. Uh, I, I can't yet think of a good way to play less hibernations other than playing like Mystic te- Mystical Teachings, um, mm-hmm. oh, which allows uh, you to tutor for an instant or flash creature, or flash spell. Merchant Scroll. Merchant Scroll. Yeah, uh, yeah, that does it. It's a one in oh. a blue sorcery. Uh, search your library for a blue instant and put it in your hand. Yeah, that's actually kind yeah, of interesting because you could also get were with that. Um, or, uh-huh. or you Command. could get um, Aethergust or Aethergust. Yep. Yeah, so you could play one of um, more cards that are sort of niche. Um, obviously, it being a one and a blue sorcery, I mean, that's not super appealing. But I'm not. I'm not. I'm not totally opposed to it. You know, that is something.
1: Yeah, that that is interesting. I'm just trying to come up with a rough list of the painter we are talking about and how would it work and you know, (laughs) well surprise surprise we're running out of room to fit everything yeah,
2: well that's why you want it to be your Ryan deck uh, but also at the same time it might then behoove us to uh, play some kind of tutor that that allows us to do what we're talking about here Um, Mm. I mean, so I'm more of a fan of mystical teachings just because it itself is an instant even though it's twice as much mana Uh, but we'll probably find a way to uh, you know, play like birds of paradise or something where we can splash the black ever so slightly uh gilded goose springleaf drums things of that nature
0: um can make that happen um, so uh, glittering wish can grab stuff out of the sideboard and, and then if you paint the painter world makes gold, cards outside of the game yeah, yeah. yep exactly mm. that's oh, getting really complicated yeah.
1: yeah now now <laughs> we're getting spicy this, this is you know this is the printers of modern that i'm here absolutely. for absolutely absolutely yeah.
0: And then, if we just fit a mox tantalite into the list, Uh-oh. <laughs> all right. Well, um, I'm pretty you know, sure we...
2: that's the signal that the brewing has gone too far, and it's probably time to uh, to call it a session.
1: Yeah, <laughs> when Mark's tent light comes out, that's when you know it's been too long. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we've gone too deep, too deep in the tank. We've delved too greedily and too...
0: Well, yeah, uh, listeners, if, if there are any of you out there, uh, get at us. Actually, I, we've had this email account since we started the podcast. And other than marketing solicitations from Podbean, I have not received a single email. Um, So, you know, just saying, that that poor email account is sitting there all empty. Uh, If anybody has any great ideas or just wants to say hi, definitely uh, email us, stop by our Discord, Uh, link to that will be in the episode description, or tweet at us, you know, we're uh, always happy to engage. Yep,
2: we've got all our social media ready to go, so uh, we're, we're, we're ready to rock, bring it on.
0: All right, Zach, why don't you take us home with a little bit of Bumps and Dumps? All right,
2: baby, it's time for some Bumps and Dumps! So big bumps, big bumps to uh, everyone out there who's doing the right thing, who's uh, having themselves a socially distant Christmas. Um, Remember, folks, you know, the uh, the better we we treat each other right now and uh, we follow public health guidelines wherever you are and maybe even go a step further if you're comfortable to do that. I cannot encourage that more because then there will be some people, statistically speaking, that get to have another Christmas. Not to make it a dark thing, but you know, um, we don't always get to see the effects. But statistically speaking, just take as few risks as you can, Um, discourage other people where possible from taking risks. Uh, I know it's not the most fun thing in the world, and it's, it's not always fun to hear it over and over and over again, but it's super, super important. And so big, big bumps to everyone who is doing what you can to help other people have a better Christmas. Myself, uh, me and my grandmother are gonna make a lovely Christmas dinner and share it with one of our neighbors who doesn't have any family who can come see her. And I think there's a second neighbor that we're gonna be doing that for as well. Uh, Big bumps to potatoes. I have been making uh, all sorts of varieties (laughs) of potato latkes or potato pancakes, depending on where you're from. Um, They are banging. They're super, super easy, super cheap. um, And you get to fry food, which is always fun. Um, Delicious. And then uh, big bumps to some of my favorite Christmas movies um, that I uh, intend to take a, take a run at. Um, Also, of course, many of the Christmas specials for the Simpsons are the are fantastic. Uh, their very first episode was a Christmas special, and I just finished watching through season one again. The Simpsons is amazing. I love it. It's my favorite show on the planet. Simpson meme creator extraordinaire oh. here. Um, even though their Halloween specials are, on average, better than their Christmas specials. And um, so big bumps to – I'm just finishing this section out. Big bumps to uh, two of my favorite Christmas movies, The Grinch Who Stole Christmas, the original animated one. Oh, then yeah. Then the Ron Howard Grinch Who Stole Christmas with Jim Carrey, which um, – has become even Woo. better in my eyes this year because, on a whim, I watched the Benedict Cumberbatch animated one, and I got to give dumps to that movie um, because it is it is beautiful. <laughs> it's beautiful to look at, um, but I don't know what happened with it. It has no teeth. Like the 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 comedy is very very, it's just very medium. Um, and, uh, I love Benedict Cumberbatch as an actor. He's fantastic, but I don't know what happened with the writing or the directing or whatever, but he's just, you know, he's not, he's not my kind of Grinch. And, uh, I, I gotta be honest with you from basically from the beginning of the movie, they start building in this narrative that like, oh, he's only mean because, oh, he has such a bad childhood. And like, he's got this repressed sort of trauma deal. And like, obviously they don't, they don't talk about it that way, but they very much humanize the Grinch. And I'm just not into that. I I like my villains a lot of the time to, you know, I like them (laughs) to be evil to the core. And and I think that's one of the charms of the original story. And one of the funniest moments is, you know, he's dressed as Santa Claus, spoiler alert. He's busted into this Who house and Cindy Lou Who, who is only two uh, wakes up and finds him and he just lies to her face sends her back upstairs and the moment where you think that he's going to have a change of heart hell no hell no he's just evil to the core what the hell's wrong with you kid get back to bed i'm taking your christmas tree oh i'm gonna fix it he just lies to her right to her face and then it's totally back on his plan of stealing christmas and only at the final moment does he come around. There's no deep seated psychological thing that's sort of um um you know, getting solved here. He just flat out didn't get it and then he has one epiphany and then he gets it. Um The Jim Carrey Ron Howard one, uh yeah, they put in a little bit of sort of background on why he's so bad, but I also think that it was great. Um, I liked that it was a little bit more toothsome on its sort of criticism of a hyper consumerist Christmas Um, because you know, I've been lucky enough in my life and maybe I've just been lucky, but I've been lucky enough in my life to I've always had the feeling I've always had the, the love of a wonderful family coming together, being what really matter on Christmas. It's always getting together with all those people that I don't always get to see for the rest of the year during the winter season when it's uh, dark and cold outside and getting to, you know share that fraternity and brotherhood and, and and great food and and all of that that's always been what's mattered so you know just reminding ourselves not to get hung up on you know buying things and owning things um this year is the opposite go as consumerist as you like just stay away from the people <laughs> and uh and we'll all be better <laughs> off for it um so happy holidays to everyone and i love you guys all out there so much what do you guys got
1: there we go. Zach's words of wisdom coming coming right at ya. I you know I mean overall I'm probably gonna keep it you know relatively short. I think the biggest bumps for me are uh, dogs and clothing. Yeah. Uh, we just got our dog <laughs> this cute little like uh, just this, this felt sweater that's very light. He's uh, short hair you know kind of looks like a desert dog, and we put it on him. You know he looks so handsome in it. Uh, it definitely you can tell it keeps him warm and he appreciates it. And it's just so cute and so funny just looking at your dog wearing a jacket. Uh, uh, definitely, I've no dumps. You know, things have been well enough for me. Like nothing, you know, nothing has been, nothing has not been good enough that you know, like I would call it a dump. But otherwise, yeah, I mean, just kind of gen- bumps, a general bumps. And I do want to reiterate what Zach said. You know, just like bumps to everyone who's going to be being responsible this Christmas. It is really sad not being you not know, for every so every christmas i normally go back on the east coast to visit my family that's not happening this time we're just you know, my fiance and i we're just gonna go get a nice little cabin uh, on the coast and that'll be a lot of fun very nice uh but yeah you know definitely still the vaccine is in sight that's great but still take this very seriously it's still gonna be very dark and you know many bumps to people who are just doing their best and you know trying to be responsible up to how they can be
0: yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm gonna have to echo the uh, the bumps to to animals in clothing just because that's hilarious. <laughs> and I too have a very short-haired dog that needs to wear a sweater when she goes outside in the in the very cold. Um, I'm also uh, oh, man. You guys had some good ones this week. I'm also gonna bumps to potato pancakes. Like you yeah, can't go wrong with can't potatoes, go wrong, baby. Um, right, uh, and then. Um, Yeah, you know, I think uh, it's it's the holidays Uh, bumps to everybody who makes the holidays a special time, um, especially for those who can't necessarily make it a special time for themselves. Um, This is always a season for giving and and a lot of people uh, like to, you know, put some of their excess money into charity or volunteer work and things like that. And um, so bumps to everybody who does that kind of thing. And, um, we'll just say, uh, dumps to Grinches, uh, wherever they may be. Mm-hmm. In whatever form Amen. they may take.
2: <laughs> yep. All right. All right. All right. Yep. Lightning round. Arun, do you have a favorite Christmas movie and or holiday movie?
1: Um, that's, I mean, you know, animated Grinch is definitely up there. I will say Love Actually. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, two thumbs down. I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't understand why. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> my people enjoy? I mean, I can understand it, but everyone's terrible and like nobody wins, and there's no that's, character that's that you like. That's the one with like all
2: the, and... the 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 seven different little like short stories, right?
1: Yeah, where everybody yeah. is terrible. I mean, Everywhere everyone's yeah, a terrible it's, human it's, being. It's
2: very. Um, I feel like it's very Oscar baity in that it's like, oh yeah, man, it's just you know, it's just about life. You know, it's just scenes. Yeah. Scenes from people's lives. And I I'm mean, like, yeah, but maybe if you had it directed by Quentin Tarantino, but this is. <laughs>
1: I mean, it's you know, it's probably the most realistic Christmas movie yeah. in that you know, like most people are generally buttholes and like you know, nothing <laughs> nothing works out very well. It's also one of the and, best movies for you know, we'll like,
2: love in that way. Then right? Everyone's yeah, kind of I a mean, dick. It's one of the most Everyone's realistic kind of a dick.
1: But I, d- I don't watch movies because I want to see people being a butthole. If I want to watch people being buttholes, I'll just <laughs> well, like go on outside to magic or something. Online, or I'll, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I'll I'll watch Twitch. I'll watch some Twitch streams of people I really dislike if I want to watch people being there buttholes. You, you know, I, want, I like I like me. I like me some good escapism, and I'm a. Uh, we last night my fiance and I we watched um uh, the new one on Hulu. I forgot what it was called. A uh, season's greetings maybe or seasons. I I'll I don't know. It it's like it's just came out. It's is very it popular. Worth... It was very good. Okay. It was.
2: Is it worth looking up?
1: Yeah it was. Yeah yeah definitely. I would highly recommend it. It is super sweet, and, you know, super mm-hmm. moving, and like it's one you know it's unrealistic. Like, there's a whole bunch. Of not I won't spoil too much, but there's an absurd amount of family trauma uh that goes back a long time and everyone gets together and somehow like these 20 years of trauma between like five people uh, you know everything just turned out magically and works out which is you know why we love christmas mm. movies this is why i watch christmas movies i don't watch christmas movies so watch everybody be a button yeah old. man
2: you gotta <laughs> get that miracle on 34th sweet
1: feeling all right yeah for real you know like i all right what do you got
2: uh, die Hard. Die Hard. Yep. Good answer. Good answer. Classic Respect. answer. I'm also a also big fan of Home Alone 1 and 2, which are not super Christmassy, Ooh, yeah. but they just happen at Christmas for the most part. Oh, no.
1: Home Home Alone 1 is absolutely Christmas. I mean, it, it yeah, is, and they
2: both happen at Christmas, but I, I never think of them like they're not super about Christmas, right? I mean, they are about family and, and all that,
0: that good stuff, but... Uh, I just... I love Macaulay Culkin. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't know if you if you follow him as an adult at all. He is hilarious. I, I saw a tweet by him a while back. Somebody was like, "Oh, you want to feel old? Uh, like Macaulay Culkin? You know, uh, or Home Alone came out. You know, this many years ago." Uh, uh, no, nah, I'm, I'm I'm butchering anyway. Macaulay Culkin gets in the the tweets with other I, people, I it's, and um, it's like, "Oh, you want to feel Alone really old? I'm 40.
2: Like much closer to." Uh, present or much further from present day than it is from Macaulay Culkin's birth because he's in his like yeah.
0: 40s now oh yeah 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 no he uh he tweets at people randomly yeah. who bring oh, yeah. up stuff about Home Alone or it's whatnot like the, and uh, it's it's always hilarious the, the Wendy's of child star Twitter
1: yeah yeah yep. all right well uh you, that, I think that'll do
2: it for our, uh sp- one second real oh, quick
1: yeah. I just gotta say it's Happiest Season that's the Hulu Christmas Happiest movie season, that was very huh? good what hot Happiest Happy. season. Do highly recommend. Got it. Got it.
2: All right. Well, go watch yourself awesome. whatever uh, festive <laughs> holiday movies that you have. Do whatever festive holiday things you want to have. Um, and uh, I will likely be live on Twitch in some capacity on Christmas Day on the 25th. Um, so if anyone wants to come in hang out and see some crazy brews um, i'm either going to be there and or on emma partlow's stream i'm not sure if we've worked that out to 100 percent but we will i I, i'll probably be live at some point for sure and then uh, i might be live on her stream as well doing some cube or
0: nonsense or whatever fun fun all right y'all have a good one yeah thank you everybody take care hate the town whatever color you want
2: Thanks for listening to Episode 8 of the Serum Visions
0: Podcast.
2: If you like what we do and want to get in touch with us, you can find us at twitter.com serumvisionsmtg. Email us at serumvisionspod at gmail.com or join us on Discord at the link in the episode description of your podcast player or on serumvisions.podbean.com. Just deliver some Christmas- hey! Back up! This is a homemade explosive device! <laughs> and I'll blow it up! You <laughs> know why? Because I work for the post office, so you know I'm not stable! Tell
0: them! This man is totally insane. Thank you!